Sorry, what did I miss? Everything. Anglophies. Gettle's gone. Alina, are you fake texting? It's super important. <laughs> oh, I might as well just growl, that'd be about it. I have failed the sisterhood. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. We're not here to judge. Good evening, everybody. It is episode 11 of Anglophies, and I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And it should be noted that this is version 2.0. Yeah, we uh, angered the podcast gods last week. Uh, apparently, like, everyone did. But it's okay this time, because I sacrificed an avocado to a, appease them. A ripe avocado. <laughs> a ripe avocado. And you you have no idea how hard it is to find a ripe avocado in Massachusetts. It's basically, it's not a thing you can do. Lest you think we're going a little overboard with the appeasement of the gods. No, no, no. This wasn't just technical difficulties. It started as technical difficulties, which Kaylee had out of nowhere, having not had them before. It ended with Raiden's Skype being possessed by demons. And we'll edit the sound in. I haven't even listened to it yet. Um, but we'll edit the sound in, unless I think it, it's too brown noty and might drive everyone insane. I really don't want to do that. It was slightly Lovecraftian. Yeah, hence the avocado sacrifice. And it seems to have been working, so you're welcome, everybody. <laughs> so now we can talk about all things Sherlock Holmes, especially the modern adaptations, of which we have things to say. Many things. Many, 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 many things. Many, many things. Um, but first... Kaylee, what have you been up to for the past four weeks? Oh, not much really. Just um, having the best month ever. Oh my god, best <laughs> month ever. It could only be better if I'd been paid to do it. So if someone wants to like slip me some money for doing it, I would really like that. You know, just, you know, I take cash. This is check, sounding super sorted. I'm just saying. <laughs> Given some of the stuff I have seen this month... <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Um, so for those of you who don't follow me on Twitter, and why are you and not? why don't I, you? Yeah, I've spent the month being a, a theatre critic for a magazine called The Skinny, which is an independent cultural journalism in Scotland. And I've been reviewing theatre for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is the largest arts festival in the world. Thousands upon thousands of comedians and artists and musicians and actors and just crazy street performers and just crazy people in general come to Edinburgh for one month in August and just go wild and I have seen I haven't counted actually I've seen about 50 plays in the space of about 23 days 50 plays in about 23 days um and I've been writing reviews for them and some of it has been utterly amazing other parts have been life-ruining in many, many ways. But I've had an absolutely brilliant time and I'm really sad that I'm going home on Sunday and I won't get to hang around my favourite city seeing really, really cool stuff like the guy dressed as Predator outside Starbucks. I he stands out for 12 hours a day just him. dressed as Predator. The magazine yeah. I write for gave him six stars as a review. Yeah, yes, yes, you tweeted that link. I will, I, I will, I will post a link to this review because it's, I wish I'd written this review. I really do. It's so funny. This guy is just it's not even i can't explain it it's it's art it really is 
but I've seen some really cool stuff. I've seen three versions of Titus Andronicus, which is tough going to say the least. Uh-huh. I've seen musicals. I've seen site-specific performance, which has been really kind of disturbing. I've seen comedies. I've seen tragedies. I've seen some really boring political propaganda. I've seen creepy art. Um, I've seen a guy who just walks around the Royal Mail as dressed as a stormtrooper for no reason, and people give him money for it. <laughs> I think the he's, wo- at the other, he's at the opposite end of where the Predator guy is, and I kind of want them to get into a fight. <laughs> and somewhere in the middle of that, there's a guy dressed as William Wallace with a real sword who likes to chase children with it. Okay. There is there is like a play waiting to be written just about that. My favorite of the it. ones you've mentioned was uh, the what was it the gay cabaret of the Palestinian <laughs> conflict. Was there was a play called Ballad of the Burning Star, which is one of my highlights of the Fringe, and it is about one man, one Israeli man's internal conflict about the Palestinian conflict told through drag cabaret. That's it. That sounds fabulous. It was amazing. But the Fringe is one of those things where you'll hear an utterly ridiculous concept and you'll just sort of shrug your shoulders and go, okay then, because it's you have to get really weird in order to stand out at the Fringe. Mm-hmm. So give an example of a few things I've seen. Um, I've seen Northanger Abbey told with puppets. I've seen an all-female version of Titus Andronicus, which was really, really good. I've seen... A play based on the assassination of a Russian political journalist told in a corridor, which was one of the most life-scarring moments ever. I'm not even kidding. Which, which journalist? Anna Politkovskaya. Politkovskaya, I was thinking. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, she was, um, if you don't know, she was uh, um, shot to death in the elevator in her building. And in this play, she goes into the lift and that is how you get out of the corridor where the show is being performed but you have to share the corridor with her corpse see it's weirdly enough not the only political russian political journalist to die that way there was a fairly uh big one i remember in the 90s and it seems to have started almost a trend scarily enough (laughs) well one of the things that you got with this performance and it was genuinely very well done but it's one of those things i wish had come with a trigger warning because i was standing there you stand in this corridor And there's a scene where the journalist is thrown on the ground and attacked and raped in front of you. And it was one of those things where if I had been very easily triggered, I would have just freaked out. Because you can't get out of this corridor except for the elevator. Mm -hmm. I wish they'd put a content note for something like that. It was well done, but one of the things that they gave you with it was a list of all of the journalists who have been murdered in the past couple of years. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of those performances that's designed to catch your attention, but... I wish that they had given some sort of warning that this is definitely not for everybody. Right. I've never been, I ended up having like a, a conversation with a fellow critic afterwards and we had to like just chat about happy things for about 20 <laughs> minutes just to get over it. But I've seen some, I, my favourite thing I think I've seen was called the Bunker Trilogy, which was this director called Jeffrey Compton, who's only two years older than me, bastard, um, created a World War One style bunker in a room in this hotel in Edinburgh and he put on a trilogy of plays in there which were loosely based on Macbeth, Agamemnon and Morgana set in World War One during the war um, trenches filling with mustard gas vaguely hallucinogenic same four actors playing all the roles and it was brilliant you could it, you really got immersed in it it was a fully immersive theatrical experience and I've never experienced anything like that before and it was one they said something about how good it was I was Every day I was dying to get back into this hot, sweaty, claustrophobic room 
jam-packed full of sweaty tourists while dust got kicked in your face. <laughs> ah, the suffering of the critic. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> so hard to be you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it really was. It really was. I they, they give you a press pass so that you can pick up tickets um, and get into certain you know, writer rooms and stuff like that. And the sheer amount of maniacal power I wielded while wearing that thing. <laughs> because it's impossible to walk through Edinburgh during the festival without being handed flyers for advertising a show. They don't come anywhere near you if you're wearing a press pass. <laughs> There'd be people who would like approach you with a flyer, notice the press pass, and then just sort of turn around and pretend they hadn't seen you. And I had far too much fun with it. <laughs> I, I was a bit mean, I'm not going to lie. I, the, the the saddest thing was a couple of days ago, I was in town with a friend and I got handed a flyer for a show and it was a show that I'd reviewed and they'd put my review on the front of the flyer and I immediately went, oh, I wrote that! Oh my god, I wrote that review! And the guy was really nice and saying what a wonderfully well-written review it was and I started feeling really smug and then I walked away and about ten minutes later I thought, God, I feel like such a tit. <laughs> <laughs> I am that sad person who has taken a picture of every single time I've seen my review being used to advertise a show and sent them to my mum. Aww. It's your mother. Come on. Yeah, I feel like I'm allowed to do that. I feel like some sort of like confirmation that this was a thing that actually happened. Yes. You're not getting paid monetarily. You're allowed to get paid emotionally. That's right. Yeah, I feel like that was my reaction. If I can't be paid, I will just go mad with power for free. <laughs> yeah, and then next time when you do get paid... You're going to go mad with even more power. And it's going to be awesome. And I really think that at some year there needs to be an Anglophies field trip to the Edinburgh. <laughs> oh, yes. And we'll just take the city by storm or something. And it'll be ridiculous and awesome. Someday. <laughs> well, my, re- my dream is to go to, is to, to review stuff in New York. Um, and I, I, I'm thinking about saving up some money because Kenneth Branagh is taking Macbeth to Broadway. <gasps> oh my god, field trip! Field trip! Yes, field I know. trip! I know. Oh my god! Yes! <laughs> Alright, if Kaylee does it, I'll do it. It's a pact! Since if she's crossing the ocean, I will not have an excuse not to cross the border. Damn right. And, and this is why you should get you should start paying me for reviews, random people. <laughs> you have to fund a cause. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all meet in New York City and we will take ridiculous pictures. And it'll be awesome. And then these two can see what it's like to go through a museum with me. (laughs) Which does include things like peering at Renaissance paintings and frowning a lot. And then going Italian 1435. And then punching the air when I have correctly figured out the date of the painting based on the clothes. Oh, no, 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 no. Nothing compares to being in a museum with my mother, who keeps on touching things. Oh, no. Oh, done that. Done no. that. <laughs> She's molesting the statues and petting the paintings, <laughs> and I had to, in the end, tell her to put her hands in her pockets like a little child. Well, I mean, I have to do that, too, but I do it on my own. <laughs> That's what happens when my mother took me into antique stores when I was four. <laughs> put your hands behind your back this is a look no touch store and then when we were going through museums in Sweden and I was walking around the museums with my hands clasped behind my back like a good girl she was doing the same thing (laughs) that's brilliant (laughs) Yeah. 
I'll have to say one of the things I did do this month as well, it wasn't for review, I just decided to go along because it looked really cool. There was an art exhibit going on at the printmakers called I Heart Scotland and it's by this artist called Rachel McLean and she's been designing really, really screwed up parodies of Scottish political propaganda. Because if you don't know next year, Scotland's going to get a vote on whether it wants to be an independent country or not. No. And <laughs> it's this artist is using herself as a model and creating these utterly ridiculous pictures. I've I'll, I'll, tweet, I'll send you the picture that I took of one of them um, but to describe it to you if you can't see it but I'll post links it includes a man with a St George's cross painted on his face beating the crap out of the Loch Ness monster <laughs> while in, in a puddle of the North Sea oil on a golf course while women in dresses made from Rangers football club shirts cry in the background huh and that's not even featuring the one where the guy that looks like Donald Trump. <laughs> or the skeletons with ginger hair wearing kilt towels dancing around. Okay. Well, Just for everyone yeah. who sort of mocks about Scotland is nothing but tartan and the Loch Ness Monster, this is sort of the ultimate grotesque version of it. But the artist who also <laughs> did this did a series of paintings called Lolcats. So yeah, Scottish art is amazing. Well, that's very okay. topical because we're kind of here to describe, to talk about Scottish art, Scottish literature. Scottish writer, yes. anyway. Well, I actually have taken a picture of the statue of the writer we're about to talk about. So, And you mentioned last time there's a pub named after him, isn't there? A very excellent, reasonably priced pub. But that's how we honour people in Scotland. We name pubs after them, or occasionally football stadiums. <laughs> she means actual football, <clears throat> listeners. Yeah, real football. None of this padded rugby crap. (laughs) I love you. (laughs) Or, as I say, football's the one with the pointy ends, right? (laughs) Pointy-ended ball? In the tuning forks? You can't see the the inane head tilt that goes with that, but you can imagine it. But yeah, we've basically just circled back to uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, who was, of course, born in Scotland, in Edinburgh, I believe. Uh, So the home of Sherlock Holmes in in some way. Yes, we're all slightly even more jealous of Kaylee now. (laughs) (laughs) We have amazing writers in Edinburgh. I hate the fact that I have to go back home. So I actually have notes, listeners, for this. I did homework. Unfortunately, it wasn't research purposes homework as so there was no butts involved is what she's saying no uh, no frontal nudity or anything fun like that at least mm-hmm. I haven't checked out any Sherlock Holmes porn parodies I'm sure there are plenty <laughs> you're gonna make me google that aren't you <laughs> you do that Kaylee <laughs> Oh, well, Gilly does that. I, I'm going to start with a kind of short introductory no- note on Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, a man who probably hated his creation more than any other author hates theirs. This is my favorite part about the whole Doyle Holmes thing. You can't see this, but I think Kaylee's actually busy Googling and informing <laughs> us of the results. A couple have come up that I won't mention because they're offensive, but the, the yeah. other one that came up was Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> yeah. Which makes so much sense. Yeah. Trivia yeah. time. <laughs> Although Conan is actually one of Doyle's middle names, uh, even if in his own lifetime, he seems to have started using it as some sort of double last name. So you're not wrong to call him Conan Doyle if you do so, or simply 
Doyle, it seems to be a matter of preference. I think I do either one interchangeably. I didn't realize for the longest time uh, that Conan was a middle name. In Russia, Conan Doyle is used pretty much as as a double last name. Uh, and he is a doctor by education. He's Sherlock Holmes is not his author persona. Watson is his author persona. And I will be talking in depth about portrayals of Watson in modern media. <laughs> As well the rest of us. (laughs) Pre-modern media. But I think the best thing is that writing Sherlock Holmes is probably one of the least interesting things Doyle's done. This guy is part of the reason we have an appellate court system. He would... People who've been wrongly accused would write to him and he would free them. Basically prove... You know, do the Holmes thing and prove them innocent. And now we have a court of appeals. All thanks to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. He ran, he ran to be a member of parliament twice as well. He was hugely involved in the um, the campaign for the reform of the Congo Free State. He was big on injustice and fairies. But people tend to remember the fairies more than all that stuff. I don't know why. Fairies as in the things that go over water? No. Or fairies as in... Fairies as in fairyland as in fairy. He was a spiritualist. And he was way into ghosts and afterlives. Um, I'll drop a link in the show notes. There's a Canadian connection I found in an article recently about um, Conan Doyle getting involved with a a local Ontario ghost story that other Canadians might uh, find interesting as well. But I think he was more interested in that than, than in any of his... I mean, Sherlock Holmes was just a way to make money for him. Um... I know he's written spiritualistic ghost stories. I think I've read one in Russian translation. Um, and it's I do want to mention his Professor Challenger stories because I think his adventure stories are pretty great. And Challenger is probably his second best known uh, work. I know even, even North America has had some TV shows and adaptations based, based on those. Um, but that's my brief notes on Doyle. I'm sure he'd appreciate if we all... Lifted drink in his name. He was Scottish after all. <laughs> He'll drink to his health, but not to Holmes's, because he couldn't care less about Holmes' Holmes's health. <laughs> he did kill him once, unsuccessfully. Unsuccessfully, and had to bring him back because people were like, no! No, how could you do that? No, bring him back! My mom has this story, and I don't know it's true, and I couldn't today track down a source for it where she said some sort of Society. It could have been the Strand magazine itself or some sort of publishing society that actually sent in a secretary to Doyle as a spy to make sure he doesn't do anything drastic like that again. (laughs) I'm sure it's not true. It might have been something vaguely like that. But yeah, it was true that he he caused a bit of a stir trying to trying to get out of having to write anymore. And that was never going to happen. He made his bed with Holmes. He was going to have to lie in it. And you thought modern fandoms had their issues. Oh. Exactly. Well, well they still I'm live, afraid so. of, of including that bit in in the final release podcast because it's going to give modern fandoms ideas. <laughs> and uh, I do have specific dates here in that the first um, Sherlock Holmes story was published in 1886. And that was, of course, the study in Scarlet. Uh Sherlock Holmes was based on a real person, Joseph Bell. Even this isn't just um, 
Conan Doyle writing so, even Robert Louis Stevenson is quoted in a in a source as having is recognizing Bell and Holmes's um portray in the portrayal of Holmes. Uh Joseph Bell was a doctor who was a professor of Doyle's at university and apparently he was interested in uh forensic criminology. Any favorite stories, you guys? Um I always did like the Hound of the Baskervilles. And there there's the story, the first story that I read and the first kind of exposure I had to Sherlock Holmes was, and I, and we'll get to this, is the Jeremy Brett TV that they showed us in school that involved drugging or duping a racehorse. Yeah, I don't remember what it was called. Yeah. But I think I remember which one it was. I think it had to do with uh, there being two racehorses brothers, but they had slightly different coloring and one was colored like the other. Was that it? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. they like found that one horse had been doubled for the other mm-hmm. because his his blaze on his face had been covered with shoe polish or something. Yeah, 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 along those lines. And one was actually good at racing, and the other one was not so much, or something. And the other was never broken in. I think that's the problem. It was kind of wild. Yeah. It's been a very long time since I've read it. And I've been super busy. I'm sorry. How about you, Kaylee? Um, well, I didn't read Sherlock Holmes until I was in my second year of university. And we only did the short stories. And I actually prefer the short stories to the longer stuff. I think they just, they work better. Um, but my first exposure was like every six-year-old girl with a Disney D- Disney video collection was the great mouse detective. And to we'll this get day, to it's it. Still my we'll, we'll get but the thing is as well, in Britain, the Jeremy Brett Holmes is basically shown every week. Literally, there is a there is one channel here where you can watch nothing but Sherlock Holmes, Poirot and Miss Marple all day long if you wanted. That actually sounds... I, I would do that. I wish Many I a Saturday afternoon has disappeared because of this specific channel. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like you, Raiden. I like uh, the Hand of the Baskervilles. I know I I don't particularly like the Study in Scarlet because I don't like that middle part which goes to the Mormon pre-story. Mm. Um, it's such a weird introduction to Holmes because when I decided I was going to sit down and sort of read them properly, I have a copy on Kindle where it's just his entire collection of stories and it starts with Study in Scarlet, and you get the introduction and there's a nice oh look it's Holmes meeting Watson and then all of a sudden there's Mormons everywhere and you kind of forget just how weird what, Mormonism what was doing. when it was there yeah. at that time because it was a new religion that came out of nowhere. Yeah. But then again, there's still people who think it's weird today, but the, there's some weird sort of U-turns that happen in some of those stories. Yeah. Rolling like religion and occasionally race. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with you, Kaylee, in that I also like the short stories better than the novels. And I don't so much have favorite <laughs> stories. I have favorite quotes. Um, you guys will know that in my email signature and on Twitter, I use uh, the how... That one, it is the Hound of the Baskervilles. I confess that it covet your skull. Dr. Mortimer meeting Sherlock Holmes, which for whatever reason I have always found hilarious. <laughs> um, I, I remember liking the Musgrave ritual because it was kind of a treasure hunt. I think one of my favorite things was uh, there are two stories which are written as if by Sherlock Holmes and not by Watson. And the first one of them has... or at least, Maybe it wasn't the first, but one of them has Holmes uh, 
saying how he would often criticize Watson's way of telling the story, that it was too embellished and didn't stick strictly to the facts. And he goes, but now that I have taken up the pen myself, I find that maybe it's not quite an easy thing to do because Watson would snap at him. Well, write it yourself then. And now that I do, I'm thinking maybe I was a little harsh on him. (laughs) (laughs) So I I like some of the language, definitely. Um, They they can be fun stories. I have um, a a hardcover edition that reprints some of them as they looked in the strand, so it has original illustrations. And the stories that deal with race issues, as Kaylee mentioned, the illustrations in that? Hmm. Yeah. Awkward. <laughs> it is. Well, I mean, Conan Doyle, unlike a lot of authors, I think in some way, maybe slightly less awkward than it could have been because I believe he actually held progressive views for his time. So, for example, he did have a story about a white woman who had a biracial child with a, her first black husband. And, you know, it was... And then she married a second husband, was afraid to tell him, but then in the end he was like, nope, this is our family, let's go home. So that was kind of nice for what you could get from a story of the time, I think. Mm-hmm. So this isn't, and you know, when we say that when he ventures into societal issues of the time, they can be slightly uncomfortable to us today. But I think, you know, not as much as some of the other literature of the time can be. I just finished uh, reading a Nero Wolf story, which dealt with ra- had some race issues, and it just made me feel dirty. As much as I love Rex Stout's work, just sometimes going back in time does not feel pleasant. <laughs> As a segue to uh, really the adaptations, which is what we mostly want to talk about, I want to mention um, a play, and that is the Sherlock Holmes play uh, written by William Gillette with Doyle credited as a co-writer, but I think really Gillette did most of the writing. And the reason I bring it up is that the correspondence between Doyle and Gillette includes the quote, um, Gillette asks Doyle, can I marry Holmes in this play? And Doyle goes, marry him, murder him, do whatever you like. (laughs) Um, it encapsulates Doyle attitudes towards Holmes and I'm going to bring it up as we talk later about um, adaptations, fan fictions, fandom reactions to other adaptations (laughs) I'm just saying that if if Doyle lived today he would be the author who couldn't care less that you're on (laughs) fanfiction.net no yeah that play by Gillette was, I believe, um, the f- was then made into a movie, and I think that was the earliest time Sherlock Holmes was filmed. And that was within Doyle's lifetime. If you go into Wikipedia and look at Sherlock Holmes adaptations, we have never stopped adapting Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> we started in the early 20th century, and we just kept going. There's so many. I think Wikipedia possibly has, at the minimum, a dozen pages, separate pages dedicated to Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Over? It's scary. Yeah. Huh. And that's not when counting. When something's in public domain, this is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Even before public domain, he was such a huge popular figure. So. Oh, no, way before public domain, yeah. Um, I think we can transition here to the first um, <clears throat> screen adaptation to bring up, which was the Basil Rathbone films. Nineteen thirty-nine, fourteen films. Um, I think I've seen one of them on TV. This isn't really one that I think is close to anyone's heart here, but 
I think it's probably the first one that can be really called iconic. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Uh, this one I dislike for having the stupid bumbling Watson. Because I think that misses the point of Watson, and it's not even the Watson that's necessarily... In, well, not the Watson that I read into the stories. I, watching it on TV and Watson was portrayed as such an idiot, I it was off-putting. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly Rathbone himself seems to have become... For his generation, he was the Sherlock Holmes of his generation. I think he even... I briefly saw a mention of him worrying about being typecast. <laughs> That's, you know, as actors do. No... That is not what Basil Rathbone got typecast as, or is <laughs> most fondly remembered as. Um, but so, like I said, 1939, and <laughs> there's obviously a bunch in between. But in terms of the big ones I want to talk about, from the 14 films that Rathbone did, it's a skip of 40 years to chronologically the next being the Russian Homes, because that was 1979. <laughs> Before the Jeremy Brett. It's important to mention that for, even though Jeremy Brett is going to be definitive probably for Kaylee and Rayton as we talk about this, uh, the homes I grew up on uh, was portrayed by Vasily Livanov and Vitaly Solomon played Watson. Uh, trivia note, Vasily is the same name as Basil. I don't know what it was with name named Basil having to play Holmes. There must be something there. <laughs> oh God, those movies, guys, I love them. <laughs> um, oh, they kind of they had a very particular task in front of them and so behind the Iron Curtain with no access to Western Europe uh, the exterior shots, establishing shots of Baker Street were uh, filmed in Latvia in Riga they had to create this illusion of Britain, of England to a Russian audience. There's there's five of these films. Um, and, I mean, as much as we all loved um, Livanov as Holmes, it's really Solomon as Watson that, that did the most evocative portrayal of, this is what Russians think a British gentleman is like. The stereotypical, <laughs> the, um, the quintessential British gentleman. Uh, I mean, they were both fairly big-name actors who have a lot of other roles. This was not a typecast for them, but this was the definitive Sherlock Holmes for Russians. It's, and I don't think... I think they're trying a new adaptation now, and maybe starting last year, but this is never going to get replaced. There's a statue to them in front of the British Embassy. I would like to mention that uh, Livana Fris is an honorary member of the Order of the British Empire, so Britain itself recognized him. Sherlock ha fans of all nationalities consider these to be the most um, faithful to the original text in that sometimes they basically ad adapt the scenes from the stories literally. Uh, I've read one fan English fan website say that even if you don't find a sub, if you really know the books, you don't even need a sub to know exactly which scene's being played out in front of you. <laughs> But they, but they are subbed. Um, I think I'll probably be able to find them on YouTube for the show note links. But certainly, there's DVD region, you know, regional DVDs available too. 
Um, my Tumblr has a lot of screen caps for long. When I first started on Tumblr, for a long time, that's all I did. I screen capped Russian movies, most of them Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> so I'm going to link you guys. To, and that's probably remains my most popular original post of all time is the the Holmes and Watson with the pimp cane. <laughs> <laughs> The common some board. things are just made for Tumblr, let's be honest. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that, that really was. Um, they had great music. They had these really interesting costumes. The Hound of the Baskerville is a really great one, but... it, it Okay, so the drawback of this being a Russian <laughs> production is that Henry Baskerville arrives on Holmes' doorstep. From And Henry Baskerville was from Canada, I guess at the time it was part of the British Empire. So, heavy fur coat, a saddle, for no reason. He did not arrive on a horse. He was just carrying a saddle, wearing a fur coat, and banjo music played in the background. (laughs) What Russians thought North America meant walked in through the door. (laughs) Henry Baskerville. If I can find that specific scene to embed a YouTube clip in our show notes, I definitely will because you guys have to see it to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I support this plan. Yeah, so those movies, like I said, were made in 1979 and they ran <laughs> all the way through the 80s, um, which overlaps them with The Great Mouse Detective and Jeremy Brett. Which one do we want to talk about first? Mouse. 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 Oh, Radigan! Oh, Radigan! Oh, Radigan! The rest fall behind! Oh, Radigan! <laughs> if you could think of something more perfect than Vincent Price as a rat Moriarty that isn't Jeremy Brett as Sherlock Holmes, then you have lived a long, full, illustrious life. Yeah. Great Mouse Detective yeah. was my favourite Disney movie as a child. It's still one of my favourites as well. But this was the one that my grandmother had most of the the Disney films on video that were out until this was be about 94, 95. So all of her grandkids had a favourite Disney movie that they would watch on repeat. And mine was Great Mouse Detective. I had no idea what Sherlock Holmes was. My grandmother sort of vaguely mentioned, but I didn't care because, you know, mice and rats and singing and cartoons and then someone gets drunk and then there's this machine and it's really really cool <laughs> I but it's actually when you watch when you're older it actually captures a lot of the spirit of Sherlock Holmes pretty faithfully no it yeah. really does the dynamic is there the, the sort of this, the gung-ho Victorian adventure angle is there and I pr- love the Basil as this version of Sherlock Holmes because he does the whole look at me I did a thing look let's look at my thing and then when the thing fails he just falls into this hilariously overdramatic violin <laughs> melancholy which I find hilarious all that's missing is cocaine really yeah I I actually hadn't seen it before I saw it a couple of weeks ago and people may remember my kind of hysterical all caps live tweeting of it and I know I annoyed the shit out of some people and I don't care (laughs) shouldn't care (laughs) because I think that was an absolutely worthy use of my caps lock key it was awesome and you should never feel ashamed of that oh definitely not no I rewatched it I'm sorry you were annoyed no, no, it was worth it. I rewatched it for for the film last episode because I hadn't seen it since I was a kid as well. And then, oh my god, it was so cute. And, and I hadn't realized these were books. 
until I saw the ending credits because as a kid I never paid attention to that stuff but and I looked it up on Wikipedia and apparently there's a whole series and they go to America eventually and have adventures there in the wild west <laughs> and this is one of the movies that kind of revitalized Disney's animation house at that point yeah everyone thinks it's a little mermaid Basil go there beforehand yeah Basil and the the great mouse detective got there beforehand and that's what made Disney go okay 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 we'll give the little mermaid thing a try and see how that goes and thus we entered the silver age of Disney (laughs) it wasn't too shabby yeah no it really (laughs) does encapsulate the Holmes Watson relationship because even without the kind of living together introduction that the actual uh, Holmes and Watson had even in the books you know yes there were roommates but Holmes was the one who really kind of like oh you're my friend now go do things with me yeah (laughs) in the cartoon it was just compressed it's basically a space of a few minutes and then they added some hilariously Scottish mice one of whom is voiced by Scrooge McDuck by the way (laughs) we don't sound like that I just need to sort of emphasize every now and then we don't sound like they do in The Great Mouse Detective I didn't realize they were supposed to be Scottish until I was older I thought they were like some sort of weird like weird borough of London or something (laughs) am I right in saying that Rath, Basil Rathbone actually voiced the Shadow Holmes in the Great Mouse Detective. Yes, yes, he but did. I believe it's just they just cribbed footage from one of the films. I don't. Know. Yeah, yeah, that's what they did. Is right. They they took footage from the films and spliced it in, and of course it was perfection. And of course the, the the mouse was named Basil in his honor, which uh, it was just so cute and so fun. And it kind of really distilled everything into just the having of the adventure. Yeah. I love it when he puts on all his hilarious disguises. (laughs) You know what I love? I love the fact that even as a mouth, John Watson is a ladies' man. (laughs) Because he was on the stage dancing with the little lady mice cabaret. (laughs) Okay, a side note about Watson and his women. Um... I found an online essay, Watson's Wives, in which a Sherlockian uh, puts forth um, a theory as to how many wives John Watson had. Uh, It's kind of a side effect of the fact that Conan Doyle didn't give a fuck about these stories in that he didn't pay attention to the details he wrote before. That's why Watson has two different war wounds and a puppy he mentions once and never mentions again. And then... He marries a woman from a story, and then in another story, his wife is dead, and then in another story, the, he's living away with his wife again, and then back at Baker Street. Uh, in one story, his wife's an orphan, and then she's away visiting her mother. So Sherlockian put all these together and said, if you assume that you know this is accurate, so if you assume that this is all real and not just Doyle doing whatever, this points to six separate women Watson's been married to. <laughs> Watson had it going on. And Watson also kind of had a Cartwright curse thing going on, too. That was a Bonanza reference. (laughs) (laughs) Cricket. Okay, it's just, it's too American. I can't possibly explain it to you. Look it up. It's on TV Tropes. Cartwright curse. I also love the fact that the writer of the essay suggests that 
you know, he calls them Watson's wives, but he's like, but I don't think Watson was actually ma- would go through all these divorces. And I don't think all of them died. I think he just had like a succession of mistresses. Sure. <laughs> and we haven't actually talked about the Jeremy Brett. Uh... And that's probably the most... Um, what's the word here? Prolific? I mean, the others we've mentioned had, you know, a few films each, but Jeremy Brett's over had 41 entries in it. Mm-hmm. I think it's five movies and 36 one-hour TV episodes. That's those a lot, is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there were actually two Watsons, I found out. One of them stayed for a season, but starting the second season on, there was a different one. It's probably the one everybody actually remembers. But, of course, only one Jeremy Brett... Yeah, they couldn't replace Sherlock. That's just and just like with every British TV show, every British actor has been in it. Uh, hey, nerds, did you know that Marina Sirtis from Star Trek was in was in a Sherlock Holmes episode? She was. Look it up. <laughs> Sherlock Holmes was what British actors had before Game of Thrones came along in terms of getting a quick paycheck and wearing period clothing. <laughs> and Harry Potter. This was like before Harry Potter and Game of Thrones. This was the, the sort of act, British actor rite of passage. The BBC has always had a retirement system for old British actors. <laughs> we really do, actually. We're very nice about it. Yeah, no, it's it's the welfare state. <laughs> oh, we aren't, we're not going to have that for much longer, so you know, get, get some more work while they can. I have a question. I mean, I don't have to ask Kaylee how popular these would have been in Britain, but Raiden, how popular were these in the U.S.? Um, I have memories of them being on PBS, probably Masterpiece Theater, all the goddamn time. Um, and yeah, that's where they would have been shown is on PBS. And on public public television. And I remember watching some of them in school. And watching some... Like, I don't have specific memories other than that one that I talked about of watching in school. But it was always just sort of there. Masterpiece theater? Mystery? Masterpiece mystery? Mm-hmm. Something, something along those lines. I mean, of course... America's always had the the weird fascination with British stuff. <laughs> you moved out the house, but you can't just stay away, can you? You no. have to keep on coming to do your laundry and raid the fridge. Exactly. Exactly. It's not even like yeah. we're playing hard to get, guys. It's true. No, and I'm sure British actors love American money. We do our best. Like, if you need a villain, you just come and give us a call. <laughs> Exactly. What do you think? Hey, even I'm up for that. You need it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, they're I without the Jeremy Brett, I don't think that the even more modern adaptations, the very recent ones, would have taken off in the U.S. as big as they did. Mm-hmm. Although I suspect that Sherlock being as huge a thing as it is in the U.S. is also a function of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of <sighs> related shows 
even that they don't even necessarily have Sherlock Holmes or anything like that in the title. Uh, as we're kind of moving to the modern age, I want to mention, for example, uh, as a kind of side thing, if you guys are interested in mystery shows, Canada has a show called Murdoch Mysteries, and I know it airs in, in England as well. And it's actually based on a Canadian series, detective series. The, the books are modern, but they're set in Victoria and Toronto. But it, in the TV show, Conan Doyle himself is a <laughs> is a character because sometimes real historical figures they have they write them in so uh that's the connection and he has actually been to canada as i mentioned there's that's a historical fact so there's and i guess him being in actually capable of solving crimes um look up um arthur and george i think that's a play based on the real case he solved to get a man to a clear man of a, the charge of murder so you know he actually put his mouth where his money was he actually was as clever, that clever. That idiom goes the other direction. Yeah. Put, your money he put his money in his Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or he was just that clever, he could do it the other way around. <laughs> um, speaking of British actors and keeping them in money, House. Not technically a Sherlock Holmes adaptation, but kind of close. It was an homage. It was an obvious homage. Yeah, he lived in apartment 221. Um, he his, had a loyal sidekick. He was addicted to drugs. He's kind of an asshole. And he was actually a doctor, which Joseph Bell, the, the real Sherlock Holmes, was. So there you go. Um... Last, I didn't even watch the last season, guys. I'll, I'll admit, I was a loyal. Oh, I gave up after season three. I have seen all of the last season because my mother got really, really into House while I was at university, and then I came back, and she was so excited for it. And then the finale, I mean, it, the finale is basically the Reich and Back Fall, but it was one of those things she watched, and she just went, "Oh, okay then." Well, that was a waste of my time. Oh, <laughs> my poor mother. Um. It's really funny when my parents get very, very into a TV show because they get into it. Like, my dad got into Lost to the point where he got up at five in the morning to watch the finale live with the rest of America. And he had to go to work afterwards. And he spent the entire day ranting about how much he hated that ending while he was at work and bossing people around. And he's never gotten over that either. Oh, come on. We we, we understand what it's like to be a f- in the fandom or character. And that's the thing, watching my, my, my parents go all fandom on something is so strange to me, but it's really entertaining <laughs> at the same time. The thing yeah. is, my dad has now gotten really into elementary, so we have a sort of common bond in something, which I really like. Now that we're kind of moving into this modern era, I do want to kind of bring up this, the incestuousness of, you know, British acting, the, the industry. So, for example, Hugh Laurie... Play, who's of course House played Benedict Cumberbatch's dad in a really great TV show called Forty Something. Look it up, you guys, if you haven't seen it. It's a great little comedy. And Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller were in the Frankenstein together. Huh. All the Sherlock's are connected. And Hugh Laurie's comedy partner is Stephen Fry, who is Mycroft in the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes Game of Shadows. That's right. It's all connected. They're all what does connected. it mean? <laughs> There's a code. There has to be a code. 
I greatly enjoy reminding Americans that Hugh Laurie is British. I had an American <laughs> friend who came to stay for the year for university and she'd never seen any sort of British comedy. So me and my friend sat her down to watch Blackadder, mm-hmm. which is the Ben Elton Richard Curtis comedy, one of the pinnacles of the genre. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It's really funny. Oh my and Hugh Laurie appears and my friend just went, oh, that's House. Oh my God, House is English? And then just cue a row of face palming. <laughs> God. Because then this is also a reminder that she's never seen Fry and Laurie, so we had to, she hasn't <gasps> even seen that. We never got the chance. Yeah. Oh God, she missed out so much. Listeners, if you haven't seen a bit of Fry and Laurie, fix that. Fix that. Definitely fix that. <laughs> but chronologically, the modern day uh, Holmes's go like this: It's um, Robert Downey Jr.'s Sherlock Holmes movie was the first because that came out in two thousand nine. loved it. I really did. I love oh, it. I, I love it. I love them both. I... They are my go-to movies if I'm feeling down and just want yeah. to be cheered up for two hours. Go straight from the second one more than the first one. Actually. I feel like that movie is just filled with these loving references to the original. So uh, I mentioned before how there's uh, Watson mentions having a puppy and he mentions it once. <laughs> and then, but in the movies he has, that's like none of the things they seem to do randomly are actually random. They're all from the source material. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of Doyle being so haphazard with his writing is that you can kind of pick and choose which consistency you want, you know, which continuity you want to follow. Mm-hmm. And the the chemistry between Robert Downey, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. has chemistry with a brick wall. <laughs> but the chemistry really between does. him and Jude Law as Watson is just amazing. And they... Like I like watching actors that are clearly having fun while working, and they were having a fucking blast. Absolutely, Robert Downey Jr. is my favorite kind of Sherlock Holmes. It's the not the aloof genius, but the really energetic. Mm-hmm. Because I really think that's what's closest to the books is when you read the books, most often the descriptions are all about him being in action, and he even himself says that when he has no case, when he has nothing to no action to take, that's when he sinks into depression and gets really addicted to drugs. Um, so I, I like the Robert Downey Jr.'s you know, portrayal of it and the wacky costumes, <laughs> which is probably the first time we're going to wade into the quote-unquote controversy and mention the one time he dressed up as an old Chinese man. Yeah. Think, yeah. Was that second movie? That was the second one. The second one. As we said, the books have, you know, they are they are progressive for their time, but really for their time is the key word there. Yeah. And, I mean, the Robert Downey Jr. movies are not the egregious, uh, you know, yeah, I missteppers mean... in this direction. It's just something I'm going to lay the groundwork for because I know Kaylee has a whole thing. <laughs> Uh-huh. later on <laughs> yeah and i think the game of shadows depiction of the roma is absurd yeah yeah <laughs> ridiculous problematic racist you know um and it probably would have been a, a much better movie if they'd either done that better or not at all mm-hmm. but you know, it happened. So, 
And I think when people adapt homes, and particularly when they keep to the period setting, they have this idea that because we're setting it in this particular time, or we're basing it off of this particular material, that they can somehow get a buy on covering this stuff and portraying it because, oh, we're just being faithful to the material or faithful to the time. No, you don't have an excuse in the 21st century for pulling this crap, particularly if you put it in the modern day, but we'll come to that. <laughs> not that we're naming any names yet, Moffat. <laughs> yeah. No, of course not. <laughs> Moffat. Moffat. <laughs> yeah. Don't you think he looks tired? God, yes. Yes, he does. <laughs> Um, Before we get there, I just want to say that I really like the garage ones, and one of the complaints that I've seen from a lot of people is that, oh, well, they're just making silly action movies out of it. The books were kind of silly action movies too. They were popular writing that were ragtag adventure stories, but because they were written in a Victorian time and they're not the sort of style that we write in today, they've been elevated to these sort of high and mighty snobby classics. It's kind of like Shakespeare. Shakespeare did nothing but write dick jokes for the masses. Exactly. I really hated when, when... Literature is being portrayed as something that it's not just by virtue of time. You know, yes, there's a classic in that it was important, but just because it's important doesn't mean it was popular. And just because something's popular doesn't mean it's not important. Doesn't it terrify you to think of what's going to be considered high literature from right now in about 100 years? (sighs) Well, I think we're all going to resign ourselves to what's going to be considered a genre-defining yeah, it's having affected pop culture, and it's like, well, it's like Kaylee said, Shakespeare wrote about sex. Nobody complained that that was porn and beneath them. That was a great thing about when I saw three versions of Titus Andronicus. You get a reminder that Shakespeare wrote amazing your mother jokes. Exactly. <laughs> he found he wrote one of the first ones. ones. <laughs> the first your mom. No, I have done thy mother. I have done thy mother. So. Yeah, so I really do, like like Kaylee said, I love the fact that they're adventure romps. That's what the stories mm. were. And I like that Guy Ritchie's movies capture that. I mean, the man hadn't really directed a decent movie in a while, but I think this is a, a, a series that really fits his style. Okay, they, he does it over the top a couple times with, like, super slow motion running through the woods as bullets fly. But you know what? It's fun! Right. And all the slow motion fights where Robert Downey Jr. and Jared Harris are beating the crap out of each other, and it's really hot. That's awesome. Exactly. And <laughs> I said that loud. I I really. <laughs> yes, I really. I have a crush on Jared like, Harris. Okay. <laughs> Kaylee, there's a list of men you find hot, and we all have a copy of that list. <laughs> I do think there's a Kaylee signal on tag on my tumblr which is primarily mass mickelson pictures i think we should be expanding that (laughs) i reblog what comes across my dash for you and i I forever thank you for it it's a highlight of my day rates our tumblr panderer let's she really i do i also have that i use a lot less often that's all right i'll find my only pace i (laughs) Reblog the the really hotly paced pictures that come across. The the problem is the vast majority of those are already on your Tumblr. That, so that's why right. Bring your attention to them. The Hobbit's coming out soon. There's going to be a wealth of new. Exactly. Paced. This is why I'm excited that Raiden's watching Wonderfalls because I keep forgetting Lee Pace is in that. Yes, I I did just start Wonderfalls last night. <laughs> Oh, I'm so happy for you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm really liking it. 
Hell, a lot better than my Christmas Daisy. I still have not forgiven you for that one, but well, you can go ahead and not forgive me because that's just making me not like it more. So, <laughs> but oh, I'm a difficult person. <laughs> back to Guy Ritchie movies, because I want to mention this here where we, um, although Watson, you know, in the Jeremy Brett and the the Russian movies was not quite as bumbling as Watson was in, say, the Battle of Rathbone. With Jude Law, I think we really got the... This was a military man. Yeah. You know, and obviously very attracted to women, as we've mentioned. So they really... <laughs> I really it? love Mary as well in the films. I do. I like... She is not standing for any of that clingy ex-boyfriend Holmes crap. I know. Yeah. Because Robert Downey Jr.'s Holmes is the ultimate clingy ex-boyfriend. Yes, he is. <laughs> He's totally over him. He really is. He doesn't feel the need to talk about it all the time. No. Okay, I love their dialogues. Like, you borrowed my clothes, our clothes, or whatever. Like, yeah, right. I poison my dog, our dog. My dog, our dog, my yeah. dog, the dog. The dog. Get that thing out of my face. It's, it's not in, not your, in your face, it's in my hand. Get that thing that's in your hand out of my face. It's eminently quotable, let's face it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and even um, the fighting style, Buritsu. Mm-hmm. Was, which was based on a real one, but I think misspelled or mistyped. And he fights a boxer named McMurdo, who's actually from the books. From the Treasures of Agra, I believe. Yeah. So... I mean, yeah. the, the actual fighting style that Robert Downey Jr. is highly based in Wing Chun, which is what he is pretty highly ranked in. I don't know if they do belts or whatever in that. Um, but it's a it's a thing he does, and it's a thing he does really well. Not that I've watched the the boxing match scene many times. I haven't. Don't look at... Okay, I have. Um, <clears throat> uh, but... We're not here it's... to judge. <laughs> I'm not judging. You know how many times I've watched those movies? <laughs> oh, I even came up with a solution as to why Stephen Fry is... I, A.K.A. Mycroft is naked in the second one. Um... Because if you guys remember, Mycroft Holmes was a member of the Diogenes Club in the books. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that's how you pronounce it in English, the ancient Greek philosopher. And what I know that f- him for is the fact that he apparently lived naked in a barrel on the streets of whatever Greek city he lived in. So I choose to think that that's what that's referencing. <laughs> okay. That art was just really hot and Stephen Fry didn't want to put clothes on. <laughs> you know what? I'd buy it. I feel like you just let Stephen Fry do anything, really. National fucking treasure, he can do what he wants. <laughs> Except be supportive of Richard Dawkins, but we won't talk about that. Nobody's perfect. Everybody has done a thing that is stupid. <laughs> Everyone's got that friend you don't talk about. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, before I started this, I thought, I kind of, for some reason, thought that Sherlock, BBC Sherlock came out before the Artie Jane movie, but no, it was a year later in 2010 when all the Benedict Cumberbatch fangirls spontaneously spouted into existence. I, I like them. I do. I really do. No, that's the thing. That's, is I do like them, but that's what makes it hurt so much more when they fuck up as often as they do. Not sure, sure if it's so much the Benedict fangirls 
as the Moffat fangirls that annoy me more. The Ugh. Benedict fangirls just kind of get hysterically angry when he doesn't win things, which is kind of which is adorable. It really is. Like, <laughs> I would like to point out this, this is, is your the, fandom baptism by fire. This is the fandom in which purple shirt of sex is a thing. <laughs> For the uninitiated. It's a shirt. It's purple. Cumberbatch wears it at a scene, and the buttons are kind of stretched tight. <laughs> this is the, the the iconography of the fandom, is this purple shirt of sex. <laughs> oh, that poor man's discomfort with his fans referring to themselves as Cumberbitches. Yeah. <laughs> he really doesn't like it, the poor man. No. No, apparently there was an incident not that long ago where someone was, you know, hidden in the house next door to him and was live-tweeting his movements throughout his own house. Yeah, I heard about that. Christ. Yeah. And there have been numerous blow-ups with, peop- with um, Martin Freeman's wife is on Twitter, or was. I don't know if she still is. But Martin is not. And people posting pictures of their kids... Um, there has, as far as I know, there hasn't been a backlash against Martin's wife for getting in the way of their precious OTP of Martin and Benedict, but there has been some backlash against Benedict's fairly recently revealed girlfriend of how, how dare that woman get in between Martin and Benedict's true love. Is this reaching supernatural levels of scary? Yes. Yeah. And it took six episodes. That's all they've made of the show, which people kind of forget. But they have reached that kind of level. Um, now, to be it's, fair, it's six episodes that are 90 minutes long. So it's... It, made for in, TV movies. Yeah. In American terms, it's... Miniseries? 12. It's about 12, 12. episodes worth. <sighs> This and is then a... there are, I don't want to really generalize all the fans because I have talked to some Sherlock fans who are really wonderful and reasonable and they understand the faults of the show but they can still sort of cope with that in the way that you know sometimes you have to as a fan. My issue is with the sort of prevailing some of the prevailing attitudes that I'm really baffled by not just in terms of the attitudes they have towards the way other people handle the source material but in terms of the general fan nature of doing things like claiming if you don't like Sherlock, you're homophobic. Right, or if you don't... Because queer baiting is completely the same as, as representing LGBTQ relationships. And we're yeah, going to talk if... about, you know, Sherlock and LGBT issues because we haven't gotten to Irene Adler yet. Oh god, we'll get there. We'll and get there. Fat. We'll get there. I mean, Irene Adler Liberation Front. <laughs> Let's put it this way. I actually way. rose my fist in the air there. You didn't see that. Kairichi movies is where this stops being warm and fuzzy. And Sherlock is where it starts being the ugly side of fandom and the industry. Mm-hmm. And then elementary is where things become awesome. We'll get to it. And we'll get to that. We're going to end on a good note. Before we actually go way into the fandom, um, as a kind of run through, 
similar to what we did before with Sherlock, it also pulls um, as an adaptation of Sherlock before we, we discuss it as its own thing of, of how to handle things. It does also pull from the canon in ways which I really enjoy. Um, for yeah, example... Or a billion Easter eggs. Oh, yeah. And uh, one of my favorites is that the Doyle inconsistency of Watson being wounded in the shoulder in one story, but having been wounded in the leg. This is Afghanistan war wounds in the leg in another. So we actually have the actual wound Watson received in the Sherlock versus he has this psychosomatic one, which is a, a symptom of his PTSD. And I thought that was uh, kind of a really clever way to handle it. Mm-hmm. On a sad note, when I remember when I watched the first episode and I thought, how sad is it that a hundred and more than a hundred years later, and Watson is still an Afghanistan vet veteran, and it makes sense. Yeah. You just, yeah. It's very obvious that a lot of thought has gone into this, and it's very clear, particularly that Mark Gatiss, who plays Mycroft as well, and is a really awesome Mycroft. Mm-hmm. Um, knows what he's doing and is very dedicated to this material, but that only makes it more obvious when they really, really screw up in quite offensive ways. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is just kind of a precursor. Fans of the show, we're also fans, and we really do appreciate all the homages and the nods and the way they adapt things. And Benedict but- Cumberbatch is great in that particular interpretation of Holmes. Yes. And he's the- a great and- actor. And-, and Martin Freeman is... I, I think he's a really fantastic Watson, and he definitely deserved the BAFTA he got. And secretly, I also love the purple shirt of sex. It's not the secret. It's now all over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> but fans. <laughs> fans. There are things we need to talk about. Yeah. Let's and- start with Irene Adler. Mm-hmm. Yes, Kaylee. Come on. We're going to talk about this. Irene. <laughs> Do you have the quote? From Moffat. Um, oh, hold on. You know what, Raiden? Pull out. Yeah, because that. that pull it up. I know out. where it is. Yeah. We're going to read you the quote, people. You will understand why groans of pain have just emerged from all of us. But Irene Adler is, of course, that character in Holmes. You know, to Holmes, she was always the woman. And she's pretty much the, other than Mary Morstan, who is Watson's wife, and Mrs. Hudson, whom I think we just have to mention separately because she's kind of awesome in all the iterations and we haven't really talked about her. Um, there, there aren't a lot of uh, female characters that, aside from kind of victim and or murderer and or a client of the week, that make any impression on Holmes except this one. And of course, this is modern Hollywood. Holmes has to have a love interest. Even the Guy Ritchie movies did this. Of course, that was actually kind of the one thing maybe I did have a problem with the Guy Ritchie movies is that Irene Adler, I know she was an opera singer with whatever that entailed during Victorian times, but Holmes described her as a true lady. And I really feel like none of the adaptations bother, you know, keeping to that mm-hmm. kind of nobleness of spirit. They're all kind of these, um, I'm not saying she shouldn't be sexy, or so, obviously she was very sexy, even in the books. But I feel like, you know, she wasn't the adventurous necessarily. Um, I don't Just something that these adaptations get wrong. But then Moffat gets women very wrong. Yeah. Do you find it? And the quote? <laughs> the quote from Moffat is, I remember when I was reading that story as a kid, Sherlock goes on and on about the woman, the only one who ever beat him. And you're thinking, he's had better villains than this. And then you click. He fancies her, doesn't he? 
that's what it's about. God, that but, angers me in so many ways. I totally forgotten about the bit where he just says, "Oh, he's had better villains than this." Really? Just to totally dismiss the fact. Oh, god, she's a woman. She must just be a terrible inferior villain. Better villains? How about As if the men had that... a, mur- a monopoly on murder? No, 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 no. Oh. That's not even what I'm talking about. The book specifically says she's the one he thinks about it because she's one of three people who's actually defeated him and outsmarted him. Who is a better villain, Mofad? Somebody who lost to Holmes just by virtue of having balls and a penis? Yeah. And then, if you go to the text of A Scandal in Bohemia, to Sherlock Holmes, she is always the woman. I have seldom heard him mention her under under any other name. In his eyes, she eclipses and predominates the whole of her sex. It was not that he felt any emotion akin to love for Irene Adler... All emotions in that one were particularly were abhorrent to his cold, precise, but admirably balanced mind. No, he doesn't fancy her, Moffat. It says so. It's right. I don't... Oh, my God. Shut up. So, Moffat gets his hands on Irene Adler. Irene Adler is now... A sex worker, because subtle Moffat is not. This isn't... This isn't um, my problem with sex workers. This is my problem with the only way Moffat can see a woman. The thing is, it's very Frank Miller. If the only way he can see a woman is to completely define her by her gender. And in this case, her sexuality as well. And speaking of her sexuality, so, you know... She's a dominatrix professionally, so whatever she does with the with the clients, you know, that's what she does for money. But presumably, you know, she's kind of pursues homes, except that one scene where out of nowhere she goes, oh, I'm gay. Because this is how Moffat sees lesbians, apparently. They're only lesbians until they fall in love with Moffat's stand-in hero. Mm-hmm. We have opinions about this, is what we're saying, listeners. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't I thought that the the dominatrix choice was interesting but the way that she went and you know the way that she went after Holmes kind of if you look at it as she's doing this as kind of an intellectual exercise that that could have been fascinating in and of itself but no it's because she wants him and he wants her but they can't quite I don't even but he's asexual and she's gay so right whatever I'd like to point out okay all that aside because you're right dominatrix could actually be an interesting choice because who in our day and age would have dirt on a highly placed political person right Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be an old girlfriend because that's not the kind of thing that breeds scandal anymore so it would except the one thing Iron Adler in the books won. She was the woman because she was smarter than Holmes, and he wasn't actually able to outsmart her and achieve his goal. Iron Adler in Moffat Sherlock loses because she gets so in love with Holmes that she underestimates him, but his brain is still sharp and masculine and therefore bigger than hers. Yeah, exactly. She's That's- reduced to being so incredibly passive, not just because of the whole, oh, I've completely fallen for him and I'm completely, you know, the purple shirt of sex has done its work on me, but she's because she's also a pawn for Moriarty in the end. 
mm-hmm. which is also something the Guy Ritchie movie does as well, and I'm not happy about that. But it just is such a pylon with what Moffat does, and particularly the way that that episode ends, which is just gloriously insulting. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I didn't mind the dominatrix thing. I, I don't. I, I have issues with her being defined so solely by sexuality. But it would make sense for a cold, calculating figure to hit home was where it hurts, and that would be the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Particularly for this incarnation. Mm-hmm. And the actress who's playing her, I really like Lara Pulver as well. I think that she captures a lot of the spirit, but she's just not given anything by the end to work with. Yeah. She's just like, dance naked puppet, dance. God, I just don't want Moffat writing women. <laughs> yeah. No. Or, and, well, you know. Uh, uh. Anything else, really. Uh. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason I stopped watching most of Doctor Who last season. Yeah. Although I will watch this season. <laughs> it's a if national only... duty, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> If only because it's entirely possible that we could get a doctor going fuckity 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 fuck. Well, there was you know they'll censor it in America, Raiden. What are you hoping for? There was an article where I think it was Moffat. He actually did say that he was probably going to get Peter Capaldi to keep his accent. So there's going to be a Glaswegian doctor. So about how what percentage of viewers will actually be able to understand what he's saying? You can get subtitles. <laughs> There's no consolation. There are certain Scottish accents I don't understand. I think your accent is actually thicker this week. <laughs> no, That's it weird. is. It's usually less in Edinburgh has, Edinburgh has thickened your accent up a little bit. Your TH That's weird. Usually when happy. I come down, whenever I come back down to Edinburgh, the accent lessens because my friends are primarily English. And whenever I go back home, it thickens up. But um, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to sort of, sort of gradient yeah. scale of Scottishness. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, I mean, your THs are a lot more effy. <laughs> you know, we're just being so Scottish this week with all the Scottish topics. I think Kaylee's just been yeah. doused with patriotism. <laughs> Conan Doyle went to my university. Really? You wait till yeah. now to say this? Well, well, I only just remembered. A lot of cool people went to my university. Okay, this is like you last month, Alina, not leading with the fact that you've touched Hugh Jackman, so... <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I haven't touched anyone. Neither have I. But metaphorically, Hugh Jackman has touched all of us. <laughs> We've <laughs> all been touched. <laughs> We've all been touched, man. <laughs> Conan Doyle didn't go to my university metaphor. Well, actually, he might have actually been in the building now that I think about it but so having done with well I mean there's Irene Adler but we mentioned the race issues before and I think Kaylee you were the one who who was the the, who will give the most coherent description of what Sherlock did wrong here (laughs) yeah yeah so we've talked about the race issues in the original material. We've talked about issues of separating material and oh, keeping material in terms of context, of time, of um, Conan Doyle's relatively progressive nature for his era, etc., etc. When you get to 2000, and the later half of the early half of 2010, when you come with not just 
Guy Ritchie material, but with Stephen Moffat, you really have no excuse. You don't get to use the, the excuse, I'm staying faithful to the material. You don't get to use the excuse, I didn't mean to be racist, therefore it's not racist. Get that through your head, Tumblr. Oh god, we're not even going to get into the discussion I had on Twitter with some complete idiots on that subject. Was that, was that the one I had the assist on? Yes. Yeah. Just because someone was sexist and racist doesn't mean they meant to be sexist and racist. You're just being so PC. Oh, the PC exactly. is exactly the same and then, as being ginger. Yeah. <sighs> so we should actually state the blind banker, the episode of Sherlock we're talking about, was not written by Moffat. It was written by Steve Thompson. But Moffat and Gatiss are the showrunners. This is not like something they came into blind. Let's give an actual overview of what we're talking about so it's not generalities. Like an yeah, actual we'll... rundown of the episode. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Well, the Blaine Banker, just say, I'll drag up some material. I, I'll just sort of rant a little bit until I drag up material. It's the second episode of season one. So we're talking 2010 here. It is. Basically, the story of a Chinese smuggling ring that are intent on killing to retrieve an item that one of them stole, which is what Wikipedia says. Um, you can tell when they're doing something with a baddie because the sort of oriental music, the ominous music plays in the background with some footage of Chinatown. Because you get the mood that they're creating because, you know, ooh, Asia. Scary, scary foreigners. And, of course, this is... I believe the, they've also literally got the, the only circus, depiction of Asian people in London that this show has has given us. And Moffat's London is amazingly white. Amazingly. I've oh, been in London. It's like, I was it's like packed in London in 2010. It's, it's not that white. <laughs> There's an article here on Racialicious and Philip Yang Ling, who was who's a writer, he said this. The day after Sherlock Holmes, the current BBC Radio 5 Live advert for the new football season was on, and the Chinese character was a takeaway owner celebrating his shop. It makes you realise that actually almost all Chinese characters on British TV are either an illegal immigrant, linked to the criminal underworld, or they're a takeaway owner. And that's what the issue is here, is that... They can claim that they're being faithful to the material, despite them having a lot more leeway to change things because of the, the change to modern day. But they're still doing something incredibly reductive with race. And it doesn't matter if they mean to be racist or not. It doesn't matter what the intent behind it is. Intent doesn't automatically equal reality. And if you, as a showrunner, particularly of this incredibly popular show start make, following the same status quo of the race, racism and TV that's gone on for generations, you don't get an excuse. You don't get to sort of throw your hands in the air and relinquish all responsibility. And that's one of the reasons I have serious trouble watching things that Stephen Moffat does, because he does it over and over again. He doesn't take responsibility. He doesn't seem to understand that the world doesn't look the way that he is intent on portraying it. And that when he makes these huge generalizations, it does make an impact. And he doesn't get that at all. And the jokes that he made when they announced who the new doctor was, and he quoted Helen Mirren saying it was time for a female doctor, the, the comment he made was, I want it on the record to say that I think we should have a man play the queen. He didn't realise that that was incredibly smug and condescending and insulting and 
completely mm-hmm. overlooked why people wanted a female doctor. Not that I trust a man to write a female doctor. I don't want him anywhere near one. Oh, yeah. I just exactly. want him to understand that him he doesn't get a pass on being a complete and utter jackass just because he's a good writer of some things. Mm-hmm. Only he's not always that good a writer. Like the, he's a very, very trope-following writer in terms he's of... He's a trope-following writer, and if he decides that logic is going to get in the way of his little story, then he's just going to completely ignore it. Like, if you think about... Like, I loved the Big Bang um, finale of season five of Doctor Who, but if you think about that episode too hard, it falls apart completely. And, like, the, the, the amount of my logic center that I would have to turn off to watch an episode of Moffat Doctor Who got larger and larger until the final episode. I was like, I can't, this doesn't even, I have no idea what just happened, and I don't think Moffat does either. <laughs> I don't think he realizes that women aren't just there to serve the role of getting a man to sort shit out. No. He in many ways follows the archetype of the manic pixie dream girl, but they just aren't as quirky. Right. And so for all the interesting things that Amy does, and I actually generally quite like Amy as a character, and particularly her dynamic with Rory, mm-hmm. the things that she is put through in order to move the plot forward can be really quite insulting in terms of, spoiler alert, the pregnancy. Yeah. The sheer amount of trauma that would cause, and he just glosses it over because it doesn't fit in with what he wants to write. Right. And... You can tell they've only ever had one woman writing the modern Who, right? Yeah. Mm. I don't think he's got any in this current season, actually. And there was there was a post going around on Tumblr talking about Moffat's women and how, especially in Sherlock, you have the maiden, the mother, the whore. Yeah. And I don't remember who the fourth... Or the bitch. The bitch. Um... Sally is the bitch. Mrs. Hudson is the mother. Um, Molly is the maiden. And mm-hmm. Irene naturally is the whore. And they're all kind of reduced down to that pure trope of a character descriptor. And that's it. And the amount of hate that Sally gets from the fandom. I've got her name right, right? Don't I? The... Oh. Thank you, Drew. I'm looking now. The amount of hate that she gets is ridiculous when she is li- <laughs> she hasn't done anything wrong. For for anybody who maybe it's been a while since they've seen it or whatever, Sally uh, Sally here is Sally Donovan. She's one. She's she's the only person of color, first of all, I can think of. Yeah. In the show, but she's one of the uh, police officers. Uh, that's kind of a regular recurring character and she doesn't and she's she doesn't like Sherlock Holmes she calls yeah, him the she's freak she's kind of un- unimpressed with his shit mm-hmm. um, he does get in the way of traditional and um, court usable police yeah, work that's the thing this show falls into that really conventional and in to me really tired trope of well he's the hero therefore we're supposed to be angry at whoever doesn't understand him mm-hmm. you know that's great we know that Sherlock is smart and will always get the person but you know what these police officers they have a job to do and this guy shows up tramps all over their crime scene 
does horribly look, rude to everyone. It's, it's, yeah, it's shockingly rude. Incredibly condescending. Right. And the first thing that he does, to, that we see him, the first interaction we see him with Sally is to immediately slut shame her for having an affair with the other police dude, Anderson. Yeah, because, you know, he can deduce it, therefore he has to announce it to the entire world. Yeah. And we're supposed to sympathize with him. Yeah. And it's really easy to get caught up in it, because when a TV show does it, the framing of the scenes and of the dialogue does make you sympathize with a specific person. And you have to intellectually detach yourself and think about what the show's doing to maybe say, but you know what, that wasn't cool. Yeah. And especially if you look at it from her point of view as a police officer, they've been letting Sherlock trample through their crime scenes. I'm I'm now speaking as a lawyer. Um, through their crime scenes for months, years at that point. And then he goes and he basically confesses to having made all this shit up, which means that they've been eliminating him as a suspect because he hasn't been putting on any sort of the hazmat or protective gear to keep from dropping evidence all over. So you know that they've been eliminating him as a suspect, which means they need to go through Every single case he has been to, there's going to be appeal after appeal after appeal. That's if this actually follows a realistic trajectory, which, of course, Moffat's not going to do. But appeal after appeal after appeal of going, well, this guy was doing all sorts of shit and fucked up my crime scene. How do you know I'm actually guilty? So... It's entirely possible that a whole bunch of people who are, who are in fact, factually guilty of the crime they were convicted of are now going to go free because Sherlock can't be bothered to put on a pair of fucking gloves. Mm-hmm. Boom! I how leading him in is seen as a bad thing. The idea that someone would call him out for being rude, for being unorthodox to the point where it's disruptive. The idea that anyone who calls him out is a bitch, because let's face it, it's usually the the, the female black police officer that's doing that job. And mm-hmm. let's not even get started on the stereotyping that goes on there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like certain other adaptations, because it's not seen as a bad thing to rein him in, because he needs it sometimes, and he's aware of that. Yeah. And really, that's what Watson's for. I mean, in the original books, the kind of reigning in, I mean, it was even happening there. You know, it wouldn't be against canon. And I'd like to point out that if you're a fan of the Sherlock Holmes over, you could argue that a modern day Sherlock refusing to put on gloves and whatnot is kind of going against character because in the original books, he was all... I mean, he was the only one who was following for, who was doing forensics. The, it wasn't part of police procedure at the time, so he was really kind of the champion of fingerprints and other forensic evidence. So wouldn't you think that when you transport that to 2012, when the police do have forensic procedures, he would be somebody who would be all about it? Yeah. You know, I think it would be more accurate in character to say that he would be the person who yells at others to put on damn gloves because mm-hmm. they're messing up a crime scene. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. But you know, you don't want to ruin his magical powers or whatever. It wouldn't be sexy. And what you're saying that Benedict Cumberbatch wearing latex gloves wouldn't be <laughs> accepted as sexy by the fandom? I'm sure they've. No, that you're right. I'm sure it wouldn't. <laughs> and that's a legitimate kink right there. <laughs> I feel like, okay. 
this is not to soften our criticism, but before anybody else, we're, this does not disrupt everything that's good because, as we said, you know, especially the portrayals. Yeah. As, as often when you have bad writing but really great actors, they can elevate the material, but they still can only do it so far. Mm-hmm. But Martin Freeman's Watson is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I saw um, the Reichenbach Fall episode of Sherlock after I saw Game of Shadows. And this was after months of people going, oh my god, Sherlock is going to die. It's going to be awful. I can't... Oh, my feels, my feels. And I was like, he's not going to actually be dead, mm-hmm. even if it's not confirmed at the end of the, the show. He, he's not going to die, because that's... Not even Moffat is going to fuck with canon that much. <laughs> but what... What did break my heart on that was Freeman. And how and I I said this in a comment somewhere that that in my uh, oh my god, get your feels under control, I forgot that Watson doesn't know that for Watson, his best friend and the person who brought him back into the world of the living is now gone. Mm-hmm. And, and Martin and, Freeman can bring it when it comes to evoking these oh, yeah. emotions. Yeah. Oh, I read this. I have no fault with any of the, the, the acting. Show. I actually have no fault with the casting in general. I think the casting is pretty spot on, particularly their version of Moriarty, who mm-hmm. is definitely one of the more unique aspects of the show, but it works so well because mm-hmm. he, Andrew Scott commits to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's so much fun to watch. I like the different Moriarty's of mm-hmm. the, the sort of free modern ones. We're talking Richie Elementary and Sherlock. Don't you I feel like, you like when you when you compare the Moriarty's, it's this one that's kind of reminds you of Radigan. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This could be why we all love him so much. <laughs> you could imagine him having his own musical number mm-hmm. while Sherlock and Watson just sort of stand in the corner getting more and more. He kind music. of did. Yeah, the last yeah. episode it was set to me like the this, the capers he was putting off. They were set yeah. to music, it, it, almost it's in a way kind he did. Kind of amazing. <laughs> I mean, I did, I, I did have a moment of, but that's not what the Tower of London is like at all. You can't do that. That would never work. It's probably for the best, but it would never work. <laughs> I'm a difficult person. I know. I think with all this, uh, you know, rage we've just unleashed, we owe it to ourselves to move on to something that made us happy. Yeah. Elementary. Elementary. And I got to tell you, I did not expect the show to work. I did not expect the show to work in the least. I didn't expect, I I expected a, a CBS procedural and in many ways that's what the show is I didn't mm. expect to sort of fall in love with the show as much as I have I mm. didn't expect to end up rating it elementary Guy Ritchie Sherlock yeah but yeah this show makes us happy in so many in many ways the ways in which Sherlock pisses us off is where elementary makes us happy and the ways in which the other Sherlock Holmes adaptations maybe had a better elementary has it worse and I'm I'm gonna say it's what well, exactly as Kaylee said the CBS drama procedural 
this is the show that is the conventional 22, 24 episode American 45 minute, 42 minute now drama because we have mm-hmm. to have those commercials. <laughs> those extra three minutes of commercials. Um, so Johnny Lee Miller, and this is why I expected it to be good because I, I love Johnny Lee Miller and if I can't have Eli Stone and this show began generating um, conversation, of course, even before it came out, and that is because, as Tumblr quickly put it together, Valamorgulio, all men must eventually be played by Lucy Liu. <laughs> <laughs> this show decided the things we always talk about. You move Sherlock to modern day, do something. And they said, this is the modern day. Women are doctors now. Yeah, and this was kind of where I expected the show to fall apart in that, you know, we had seen Watson be, you know, the person who follows Sherlock around going, wow, that's amazing, that thing you do. That's incredible. And I was really uncomfortable with kind of the image of a woman of color following Sherlock around and going, wow. That's amazing, that thing you do. God, Sherlock, you're so brilliant. That would have been hugely problematic if it had been done particularly by a woman, particularly an Asian woman. The subservient nature of that would have just been all kinds of wrong. So you understand my concern there. I was also kind of annoyed with the idea that they weren't going with Watson as a soldier because a female soldier returning home from Afghanistan is something that hasn't been done mm-hmm. and could have been really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was like, well, I don't have to worry about this too much because CBS is going to fuck this up. No one's going to watch it. it. It'll last six episodes. I have never been so happy to be wrong in my entire life. I will say this. I had higher expectations because... Um, Joan Watson's role as the sober companion was revealed also in kind of the pre-press and for anybody who doesn't watch what how she comes into homes here is she she used to be a surgeon but her job now is to help people recover from addiction um and that part of the original canon of the of the novels and the stories where Watson is the one who's weaning Holmes off the cocaine is really, those were my favorite parts of Watson. The ones that showed that, no, this is actually an above intelligence um, person, right? This is not a stupid person. He's, it's just that Sherlock is so smart that even this really smart doctor looks stupid next to him. But even Sherlock needs someone to take care of him and he, he can't do everything. And this is where Watson shines. So I was really happy that that was the aspect of the character they decided to build on. Mm-hmm. And then you add it, add to it a very healthy cupful of Lucy Liu is just not here for your shit. Oh, she's so not. It's so awesome. You could just rename this show. Joan Watson is real tired of your shit. <laughs> you, yeah, you could. I think my favorite example. I don't even remember which episode. Uh, one of the later, one of the back nine, so to say, uh, Holmes throws some small object because he wants her to start learning self-defense. And it kind of hits her and she goes like, oh, and he goes, it could have been a knife. And at the end of the episode, she spikes a basketball straight into his face and goes, it could have been a knife. <laughs> it was awesome. Can I say my favorite moment? 
my favourite example of Watson being amazing. So this is Holmes. You seem even more dour than usual, Watson. I was positive it was a menstruation issue, but I worked out your cycle. You're good for ten more days. And her reply is, couching it as scientific observation totally negates the misogyny. <laughs> yeah. This is why I love that show. This The punchline isn't, oh, it's a woman on her period. The punchline is here, you're being a sexist dickwad and I'm not going to let you get away with it. Mm-hmm. She had a similar conversation um, with... Greg Lestrade at the end. I think it's like one of the very last episodes where they haven't, you know, Charlotte's having him. Detective Bell. They don't. They haven't introduced Lestrade yet, but they will, and I believe he's being played by one of the doctors. <gasps> oh no, sorry. Is it Gregson? Okay, which which is the inspector in the elementary? Is it? No, Gregson. Oh, Gregson. Sorry, Gregson. it's Greg yeah. Lestrade and Sherlock, and then it's Gregson in elementary. Yeah. Okay. So she's having a conversation with Gregson where he talks about, I think it's some like he's worried for his safety or whatever. So she doesn't want a part of the operation, and she basically makes observations like, okay, the fact that I don't have a penis aside. Right. No. He's like, she's like, well, you don't have a problem going. You said, well, I have a gun, and she's like, yeah, you also have a penis. Yeah, that's it. The great bit about that scene is he pulls back his jacket to reveal his gun. So she does the thing where she sort of rearranges her jacket to go, yeah, and you've got a penis. Yeah, she's not having any of that. That's why I she's love not. So much. And and the whole not being here for your shit started in like episode one. Yes, where there and we'll link to this Tumblr GIF set because it's amazing. Where she walks into the living room with a pot of coffee and says, "Sherlock, there's coffee here if you want it." And he holds out his cup, and she's like, "It's right here when you want it." <laughs> And he gets up and goes to get the coffee compared to a similar situation from BBC Sherlock where um, Sherlock says, Watson, get my phone. And Watson says, well, where is it? And Sherlock says, jacket, by which he meant the jacket he was wearing. He just didn't want to move his hands from the microscope. So he wants Watson to walk over and pull his phone out of his jacket for him which Watson does as opposed mm-hmm. to Joan Watson who is not here for your shit it, it should be said that ev- even when they position her as the sober companion not enabling him is basically her job Yeah, and that translates to the entire relationship she's not there to enable him um, she's there to be a support system sure <laughs> But she's doing that in a healthy way and not in a let's just do whatever Sherlock says because he's a genius way. <laughs> and it works great. Um, even beyond the fact that, of course, we have Lucy Luce, who's not just a woman, a woman of color. This show di- is has a pretty great track record with um, with its demographics in terms of casting. Mm-hmm. because we also have Detective Bell. Uh, so there's really two main police officers in this case. Uh, actually, in the pilot, this was a different detective played by a Hispanic actor. Um, I don't know why that didn't work out, but for the rest of the series, he was replaced by a new character, and this was a black man. And I think this is where we really mentioned Mrs. Hudson. Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh my god, she's so wonderful. That was a bit of a Twitter explosion. So Mrs. this show does not have them have a housekeeper or really anything of that sort. So for a long time, it's kind of, well, what is Mrs. Hudson going to be? What's Mrs. Hudson going to be? Mrs. Hudson is a transgender woman. Played by a transgender actor. <laughs> and the 
I mean, they do do the kind of how the modern day equivalent of a housekeeper, which is not really the point of that character. The point is, this is a show that does go, well, there are all kinds of people. What kind haven't we had yet? And it's handled so quickly. There's just one line where she says, she has an Adam's apple. She's a trans woman. Oh, okay then. And they just get on with the story. Mm-hmm, yeah. that's not and she's really... such a cool character. I, 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 they have mentioned that she's going to be in season two more. So I'm really looking right. forward to now, seeing her Not integrate. only that, the, <laughs> the writers of Elementary, who are on Twitter as like the scribes room or something. They're amazing. Uh, have Sherlock acquired himself a tortoise named Clyde. <laughs> And <laughs> and we love Clyde. We love Clyde. <laughs> Do not use Clyde as a paperweight. Certainly <laughs> not upside down. <laughs> well, the the ambulance was a tortoise this morning. <laughs> anyway, the season opener of season two is going to have Sherlock and Watson in London, and someone tweeted at the the writers. Oh my god, who's taking care of Clyde while they're in London? And they're like, Mrs. Hudson, don't worry. We thought about it. It's okay. Can we have that web series, please? <laughs> please. You know we actually might. That would be brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's been... Oh, we should mention that although I said for Sherlock that that Moriarty reminded us of Radigan, but Elementary's opening credits are a direct reference slash homage to The Great Mouse Detective. Mm-hmm. As always, there's a Tumblr GIF set that actually puts them all side by side. Yep. <laughs> it's 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 reference to that trap that Radigan had uh, Basil and Doctor Dawson in. So there's like this um, elaborate chain of events that's supposed to end up in them being dead, and that's what the the credits for Elementary are based off. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> It's really great when you have writers that, you know, because this is a CBS, um, CBS, right? Yeah. CBS procedural, their crimes aren't really take off the stories. And that's really kind of their weakness because the crimes are, they're not, they're they're not always clever. Mm -hmm. um, And they're kind of just par for the course for CBS. Um, So where they make up for that is in having these homages and just the characters, little character yeah. moments and the relationships and i mean johnny lee miller is brilliant oh, i like his fun. frenetic homes yes <laughs> he's far more in line with say the the, the robert downey jr homes than he is with benedict cumberbatch mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, i've got a quote to read out from johnny lee miller which will just tell you why i love this man in this show so much this is when him explaining um specific holmes traits from the books that haven't been so prominent in past iterations in the books, I found him to be a much more understanding guy. I feel that he really likes people a little bit more than I had seen recently. Not that he can necessarily communicate that very well. He likes the underdog, and he likes people who are downtrodden, who are having a hard time. He generally wants to help. I found him to be a much more helpful person, so I tried to put a bit of that in, even though he doesn't quite pull it off. See? There's no excuse for him being a dick. Yeah, there really isn't, because he's right. If you go to the canon, well, A, he's pretty much never a dick to clients. He's always polite. He he does have social skills. You know, I mean, the BBC Sherlock is not the quintessential Sherlock. I'm The fangirls, I get it. It might be the Sherlock you love. That doesn't make him the Sherlock. And this is where fandoms really start pissing me off. Well, Sherlock wouldn't do this. Mm, the Sherlock from your TV show is not all Sherlock. Yeah. 
And Stephen Moffat does not have a monopoly on modern day reiterations of um, material in the public domain. And People really... have been doing this for hundreds of years. Just because Elementary came along and did it well does not mean that it is copying them. It does not mean that he is ripping off this completely unique idea that nobody has ever had before. Get over yourself! Mm-hmm. What I love best is when fandom these people, the fans, get precious and they start going like, what are you doing? You know, like their arguments against Lucy Liu. The story, you can't do because the story is headed X, Y, and Z. Have you seen what Doyle said about the stories? Let me remind you. Marry you him or murder fuck. him. <laughs> do whatever you like. Yeah. Conan Doyle is not the author who cares. So you don't even have that defense. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I actually think that Doyle was a progressive enough person where... If if you could have a woman rooming with a man, which of course this was beyond inconceivable at the time, right? If he, he could have had that, I don't think he would have been against it. Yeah. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you didn't complain when Watson was a cartoon mouse, you don't get to complain when he's an Asian woman. <laughs> really, you can't I, make I'm that, that point any better. Yeah. Oh, Watson hasn't just been a cartoon mouse, because, I mean... Not only is this not exhaustive, this isn't doesn't even scratch the surface of, have you guys seen uh, Sherlock Holmes in the 22nd century? Pretty sure Watson is a robot there. <laughs> this has been done. It's good. Sure, the Adventures of Shirley Holmes. Hey, Canadian listeners, do you remember that one? I love that TV show. It was for, yeah, uh, it was for a younger kids audience. Uh, Shirley Holmes was Sherlock Holmes' great-great-great-great-niece. She was in high school. She had a classmate sidekick and they solved crime <laughs> I really I recommend for people who are fans of Sherlock Holmes go to Wikipedia and there's a separate page for a list of actors who have played Sherlock Holmes Christopher Plummer's on that list I didn't realize James Darcy was on that list <laughs> This that is a really big list and that's the ones that English speaking Wikipedia would even know of yeah and of course, The Asylum made a Sherlock Holmes movie. Yanto Jones from Torchwood is Watson, and there are dinosaurs. <laughs> Naturally, there are dinosaurs. Because why not? Maybe there's a, a giant squid in there as well. Well, sure. <laughs> of course there is. Why wouldn't there be? The point Don't... is. The point is. <laughs> shut up. Hmm. And. <laughs> John Watson is not the only character that Elementary decided this could be a woman. Yeah. And, okay, okay. Spoilers. Spoiler. 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 If you have not seen the end of Elementary and you care about not being spoiled for plot twists, uh, please fast forward at least 10 or 20 minutes now. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Are are you sure you want to? Okay. Point of no return. Oh my God, that was awesome. (laughs) For those of you who maybe don't know, but also don't care about being spoiled, we're talking about Moriarty, a.k.a. Irene Adler. A.k.a. Natalie Dormer for Queen of Everything. She is in all of your fandoms, taking over all of your things, and you love it. She was just cast Mockingjay, did you guys see? Yeah. yeah, I saw. What I really took away from that announcement was Mockingjay's part one and two, because we can never just have one movie to end a series anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, Natalie Dormer. She... Thank you, Breaking Dawn. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, Harry Potter did it too. Yeah, but I don't, I'm not angry about that. <laughs> Fair enough. I'd be glad they kept it two parts and not three, Peter Jackson. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, but more Richard Armitage for me, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie <clears throat> Dormer, our listeners will remember from our research purposes episode because she was in the Tudors. And really, that's where the first I saw her. But of course, now she, everybody knows her thanks to Game of Thrones. Yep. And I was when she was announced for Irene, like I could see it, you know, popular British actress of the time, kind of the right age. But I don't think I, I did not see the Moriarty thing coming. I don't know that nope. anybody saw it coming. Nope. So, and it's really interesting to discuss this in terms of Sherlock's Irene. I mean, even as, you know, again, we're, we're going for the love interest. And, I mean, the fact that she was specifically a girlfriend, the show established early on before we saw her on screen, we just saw her mentioned. And, uh, I mean, I still have that problem with he has to have a love interest. But, as you know, as long as they're keeping to their promise, Joan and Sherlock are not getting together. Mm-hmm. I can live with it. Speaking of which, how disappointed was I when Joan Watson was not a lesbian? <laughs> there have been rumors of bisexuality. There have been gif sets. There have been gif sets that support a possible bisexual element. That gif set made me so happy. <laughs> I just, <laughs> and, you know, the cool thing about the show is they probably could and would do it. Yeah, it'd be great. <laughs> These, these showrunners are like Brian Fuller levels of fan satisfaction. Yeah. And I I was talking with with Cleo a couple of weeks ago, actually. And we were talking about Elementary, which she hasn't watched. Um, and I was telling her, well, you, you should, because it's awesome. And she's like, well, yeah. Um, and she said, so who's the showrunner? And we I looked and I went, I don't recognize this name at all. He, he hasn't really done anything so this is a showrunner who <laughs> like has no fucks to give he's gonna do what he does and robert doherty for the record yeah, yeah it's um apparently he just did ringer he produced that sarah michelle geller show Dude, yeah yeah which <gasps> oh he was a writer on dark show. angel yeah so i mean he's done stuff but i I think this is like one of his first shows that he's actually run. Mm-hmm. And I support it. I support it. Good job, Robert Doherty. Good job. Yeah, I mean, and this isn't, you know, a sexy girlfriend, Irene, the way she was in Sherlock, because there it was specifically, well, he's the virgin and they have this weird sexual weird energy yeah, thing. Yeah. thing. Whereas this. Sherlock, I don't know if it was on purpose just to differentiate it, because the Sherlock Holmes in Elementary is very sexual. Joan Watson walks in to find, pro- no, she she meets the prostitute on the front stoop, and then he's like uncuffing himself from the sex ladder or whatever. As the second <laughs> prostitute is leaving. Yeah. How um, high did she get you? About six feet. <laughs> um. The but b- I like the way he just says, oh, I'm not particularly into sex, but occasionally now and then you get just got to get it out of your system. Yeah, basically what he acknowledges is that as a human being, he gets sexual urges. Now, he might not get them emotionally, but he also has the intellect to acknowledge sexual urges. Or, you know, your brain chemistry gets affected. You just, like you said. And then he uses it for study. 
mm-hmm. triplets. I just want to see how far they're, how identical their genetics are. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> yeah. But the Irene, you know, when she was as Irene Adler, this was portrayed, well, even kind of a normal relationship. Of course, he didn't know that she was actually his nemesis setting up to mindfuck him. Mm-hmm. This was beyond SNM. This was cruelty. Yeah. No, what she does is cold. And that's the sort of thing that I really wanted to see from Sherlock's Irene is someone who does use sexuality to the really the cruelest depths. Because what she does is nasty. But it worked. I mean, she won on so many levels there. Mm. She did. So what happens here is she, Irene Adler is now a pseudonym or you know, a role Moriarty. And we don't actually know her real name, this woman's real name. Um, but she plays the role of Irene Adler specifically to seduce Holmes and then to pretend to be brutally murdered, at which point... Which destroys him. Yeah, he gets addicted what, to drugs. Which is yeah, what, which is what drives him into to heroin and addiction. Uh, it, so, real emotional suffering. So, you know, we do have the Irene that wins. Mm-hmm. I mean, and again, this was an American TV show, so in the at the end of the two-parter... He does win, but it's not that final because, you know, she can afford really good lawyers. <laughs> right. The and thing is, as well, is he doesn't win outright on his own. He needs Joan to win. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Here it's not, whereas in BBC's Sherlock, it was he won because, you know, she got emotionally weak and made this misstep. Here it was he manages to win because she underestimates Joan and it doesn't really have anything to do with yeah, you know her being so weak to his ma- to his pheromones. Yeah, and because she kind of he he does exactly what she expected him to do, as and then because he he fakes an an overdose mm-hmm. that. Uh, where am I going with this? He fakes a breakdown altogether. He fakes a breakdown and an overdose, which is what she expected him. She expected him to have a breakdown and overdose. And the fact that he, you know, he he played the you know that I know that you know game one step further than she was going to it's is how he wins. Is how you win, which is you know why you never get in the first cab. You always get in the second cab. Unless they know that you're going to get in the second cab, and then you should get in the third cab. At which point, you can just go reducto ad absurdum, and you should probably just walk. Unless you're BBC's Sherlock, at which point you don't realize it's the cabbie until half an hour after the audience has realized it. Yeah. There's the thing, for all those people who go on about, oh, the mysteries are so weak and elementary, you can pick apart the Sherlock ones pretty quickly, too. Yeah, especially that first one. When they yeah. kept on chasing after the cab, there's nobody in it. And I'm like, uh, it's the cabbie? Yeah, there is someone in the cab. It does, yeah. it does not drive itself. We're not there yet. And we're never going to be there in London. And I mean, it's not like all of Elementary's episodic mysteries are bad. Some of them, you know, the CBS has their formula down. Some of them are quite enjoyable. Mm-hmm. We haven't... And this, the supporting cast is really what makes it too. I really love their Lestrade. Mm-hmm. Aiden Quinn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're actually bringing Lestrade in to the season two, and he's going to be played by Sean Pertwee. But right. the, the sort of stand-in that they have, I really like him as well. I like the relationship he has with Holmes, and I like the way I love the way that the original characters are integrated into the canon of these mm-hmm. familiar people. Oh, sorry. Gre- yeah, Gregson. There are Gregson. I keep on confusing the two. 
Yeah, I'm, it's I'm sure Doyle confuses. I, I think it's question. deliberate, but you know. Yeah. yeah. But I love the way that they do that, and I love there's a character in um, Elementary called Alfredo, who I have a huge soft spot for. <laughs> he is um, one of he becomes Sherlock's sober companion anyway, his sponsor. No, 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 his sponsor. sponsor. Yeah. And just the dynamic that he has with Holmes and with Watson as well, actually, in terms of discussing the relationship, the sort of codependency that they have because she's his sober companion and he needs her as much as she needs him in many ways. Mm-hmm. I just find it really fascinating the way that was explored with Alfredo. And mm-hmm. hey, more diversity in the show. It's not that hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it should that, be that's... Yeah, Elementary's New York looks a lot more like New York actually looks <laughs> than Sherlock's London looks like London actually looks. And none of these characters are defined by their gender or sexuality or race. Mm-hmm. That was one of the reasons that Lucy Liu talked about why she was so excited to play this character. Because even today, as well known as she is, she still has a hard time finding roles that don't just completely define her because of, of, of her being Asian. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to point out here that while we were talking about how, oh, you know, Joan Watson doesn't take a shit and she's often has kind of an upper hand in the relationship with um, Sherlock. That's not to say that, you know, they're completely devoid of any kind of equality or conflict on other terms. I mean, she's not a veteran here, but she is coming off uh, professional trauma that made her Mm -hmm. leave her profession. And, you know, she has a kind of a rocky relationship with her family that Sherlock is the supportive friend for. So there's, there's all sorts of interplay. She, you know, it's it's not like the show said, oh, a woman can never lose, and then they kind of badly do it to where she always has to win. No, these are real people who are friends on an equal footing. Mm-hmm. That's what makes us love it so much. Yeah. And Watson has a life outside of home. She has a family. She has friends. She does. She goes on dates. Mm-hmm. She's not entirely defined by her relationship with Holmes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is still a surprising thing to find in drama relating to female characters. Unfortunately. Yes. yes. She passes the Mako Mori test. <laughs> <laughs> this show, uh, you know, those tests, like, even if you bring up the Bechdel test, uh, because Joan Watson has that conversation with her colleague played by, was it Anika Nani Rose? Yes. My yeah. Think of that? yeah. They have the conversation about professional, you know, medical matters. Nothing to do with Holmes. It's just, it's it's all about Joan's character arc, which is how much she misses being a doctor and why does she want to become a, you know, a detective now. And yeah, it's, the, the show really has some really quality writing when it comes to character arcs, mm-hmm. which is why it surprised us. I think we all, ex- we all knew these were great actors and... But we thought they'd have to work with weaker material than it turns out they have. Yeah. Yeah, I've been very pleasantly surprised. And I'm the first to admit that I was wrong in how I thought the show was going to go. And I'm thrilled to be that wrong. And while it does not have a purple shirt of sex, we just have Sherlock who's topless a lot. A lot. And he's tattooed. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And he has the most amazing sock collection. It's true. I do love that scene where it's one of those uh, that shows Sherlock's frenetic energy when he's working on a case. So he's pulled an all-nighter and he's kind of in that level of consciousness where you haven't had REM sleep for a long time. So Watson wakes up to find him kind of just, okay, let's get 
let's get ready for the day. And he's like, I could have sworn I was wearing a shirt. <laughs> he is the ultimate sort of scruffy hobo puppy version of Holmes. <laughs> yes. Yes, he Watson, is. Watson, come on. I've done a thing. Come on, help me do the thing. Get out, get Watson, out. Let's do the thing. Let's do the thing. Look, I brought you clothes. <laughs> and please, coffee. Please get up. Yeah. I brought you coffee. Isn't that how it works? I bring you clothes and coffee and you wake up and we can do the thing. There's things, Watson. Things. Let's go. Yeah, Raiden and Kaylee now are quoting this really adorable Tumblr gif set of uh, in the morning, uh, Sherlock brings Joan, you know, say breakfast on a tray and then puts it down in the bed. It's basically, okay, I brought you breakfast. Can we go look at the dead body now? <laughs> and, I mean, throughout the show, it's sort of this progression of... You know, the show is Joan Watson is just a woman who's looking to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> and Sherlock keeps getting in the way. And there's sort of this progression of him waking her up and trying to do it better. So she will be less angry at him. So there's like the time that he slams a book next to her head very early on. And she's like, fuck you. <laughs> and then we progress to him kind of poking and then he brings her her clothes. And then he brings her coffee. <laughs> do you guys remember that episode where they had to pull an all-nighter and she taught him that if you do calisthenics, it wakes you yes. up. She's the medical. Yeah. So she's, she's, it's, it, they're doing squats. And all I could see was that gif of the man doing squats and his dog behind him, mimicking him with his hind legs. <laughs> and I couldn't wait for Tumblr to gif that. So I just could want to put those two together. Come on, Tumblr, don't let us down. <laughs> I'll look for it again. Um, and the one thing we're definitely linking in the show notes is somebody did this amazing fan art of all the various Sherlock's as cats. <laughs> it's so cute. And that there includes is another... House and the, the original homes. There is another gift set we're going to have to talk about on Tumblr because it relates to something very important to us, which is the crossover between Elementary and Hannibal, which works so, so well. I don't think I've seen that one. You've not seen Hanimentary? I don't think so. No. Oh, girl. Oh, girl. I no, feel sorry. like bereft or like there's a hole in my life I didn't realize was there. <laughs> fix it. Kaylee, fix it. Fix the thing! Beverly and Joan are friends. Of course they, they are. They sass together. It's beautiful. Hang on a sec. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, it's amazing how happy this Holmes makes us. Like, the other Holmeses we have fun with, but also maybe pick apart. But this is like the Sherlock Holmes that is just there to make us happy. Yes. Yeah. For 24 episodes a year. Yay! Yay! And that's what's good as well as about Americans doing this thing where you have to have lots and lots of TV. Is it when you like something, you get lots and lots of it. That's true. You Sometimes some of it is shit. Years. Sometimes some of it is shit, and we feel bad about that, but Quantity, not quality, sometimes. Yeah. But in this case, both. Both! <laughs> Let me actually see how many episodes the first season was. It was a full 24. Yeah, it was 24. Mm-hmm. Um, I I want to... I'm, I'm going to look at the links now, which renewed for a second season, because I'm not sure if the second season is a full order. I think it is. I think it is. The show was a huge rating smash. It unfortunately beat Hannibal based on repeats alone. Because it was on the same time slot. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, this 
this article does say, yeah, elementary, the season's most watched new pro program. CPS is doing a good job of keeping me happy what with elementary and person of interest. Mm -hmm. Hawaii Favo does not have good writing, but it does have a lot of very beautiful people and beautiful scenery. <laughs> oh, God. I'm just looking at a picture of Joan and, and Holmes, and he has the most amazing sweaters. Yeah. Like, the wardrobe just has so much fun with them. <laughs> exactly. I love the way he moves when he plays that role. <laughs> his he a, has a wonderful physicality. Yeah, he's a very physical actor. He's great. My mother is genuinely quite heartbroken that he's not Scottish because he's in Train Spotting, where he plays Sick Boy, and he puts on the most pitch perfect Scottish accent. And for years, I genuinely didn't know he was English because that accent was so good. You know what? I didn't know until what? recently. I didn't know he used to be married to Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Her real wild child days. That was she was he was the wild child husband. There are some amazingly cheesy, sexy photo shoots of them together. <laughs> Hang on a sec. You know I'm gonna have to take this up. <laughs> That's all right. Johnny Lee Miller has aged very well. Yeah. I feel like mm. you should just state that explicitly before I show you some pictures. I mean, really, you know, coming off Jeremy Brett and Great Mouse Detective and Vasily Ivanov, who would have thought we've entered the era of Sherlock Holmes the sex symbol? Mm-hmm. And as much as we can sometimes complain about the the necessity of modern entertainment to make everything sexy, I'm not going to complain about this one because Johnny Lee Miller. Like, it's like there's a sexy homes for everybody. Yeah. You get the sexy homes you deserve. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Really? I've got worse ones, don't worry. <laughs> can, can this please be the picture we put on the show notes? <laughs> no! Uh, oh, come on, they get better. I'm not. Kaylee's entertaining us with the uh, Johnny Lee Miller, Angelina, Angelina pictures, which we will share with the audience because we keep Naked talking to ourselves. Naked embrace with leather trousers. God, her do. ass is great. I know. Damn it. Bitch. <sighs> <laughs> okay. So... He's always so lovely and complimentary about her when people ask her about oh, him about mm. his day. He does come off as a real gentleman. He does. Yeah. You know, I would have... You know what I, we should look up and maybe link is reviews of the Frankenstein play. With him oh, he, and... He ben won the, the Olivier Award for it. Him and Benedict Cumberbatch, I believe they won Best Actor together for it because they would alternate the roles between yeah, Frankenstein and the monster. That's what's interesting mm -hmm. about it. If uh, For our listeners, I don't know that many people outside of Great Britain would know about it. Uh, it was a two-man play. So one actor would play Frankenstein, one actor would play the monster, and they would swap. And I really, I think if I were the audience, I, I wouldn't feel like I got the full experience until I saw both iterations. I really wish I had seen it, because they did actually broadcast it in cinemas in Britain. Mm. Mm. But it was like a 10-hour ticket, and I was like, screw that. But I really wish I'd seen it. Um, and it was directed by Danny Boyle, who I basically worship. So... But it is really interesting. If you Google, you can see them alternating the roles. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. It's an incestuous world, the world of Sherlock. Everybody's just with everybody. I know. Has that's been just Britain. A, that's, that is just Britain, though. You're right. <sighs> it's because you only have 50 actors at a time. <laughs> They're really coming into their own. 
<laughs> at this point, we just need... Okay, the sure, uh, one last thing, I guess, about Elementary is that Sherlock has this father. We've never seen him. He just kind of overshadows Sherlock's life. Now, Sherlock in the books does not have parents, and I was kind of always wondering, is this going to be Mycroft? They just decided not to do the older brother because they want to do something different with the character. No, they're doing Mycroft. They're doing Mycroft sep- like, as a separate thing from this father. It's yeah, Mycroft is playing played by Risa Vans. <gasps> that's right. I remember seeing the Risa Vans. Oh my god, that's going to be He's so-, so wonderfully scruffy as well. I'm quite looking forward to just this new generation of scruffy homes and Mycroft. Mm-hmm. For those who, for whom the name may, might not ring a bell immediately, of course, we last saw him in Harry Potter as Xenophilius Lovegood. Um, I think... Would America know him best for the replacements? I was thinking uh, Notting Hill. Uh-huh. He's uh, the, the scruffy flatmate in his pants in Notting Hill. Do you know the replacements, Raiden? The football um, movie with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> I know it exists. Okay. Well, he played one of the you know ragtag team of football players there. Uh, but like I said, yeah, Harry Potter's probably where uh, I really loved him in the replacements. He was funny, but he's going to be a pretty great scruff, you know addition to the cast. But what do you guys think if they actually get Hugh Laurie to be the mysterious dad, just to complete this incestuous little circle of, of Sherlock's? <laughs> do it. Do it. I'm, I'm all for more. I'm all for more Hugh Laurie. You know, he's Laurie played Cumberbatch's dad already on one show. He has exactly. Play. May as well do it. Do it. Do the thing. <laughs> more British actors back on our TV. Yeah. There's tons of Sherlock's we haven't mentioned, and it's fine because, like I said when we began this, they've never stopped making them. If you go and see. Uh, and not, you know, they've never stopped writing the books either, because people continue writing those too. It's this is this one. Anthony Horowitz now writes some, I believe. Mm-hmm. Anthony Horowitz is kind of one of the um, the key writers for people of my generation. He wrote the Alex Rider novels, um, which were like their teenage James Bond kind of novels, which were made into terrible movie. But um, I believe he now is like the official writer for the Sherlock Holmes series. Um, just in the way that they keep writing new James Bond novels. Roger Moore has been Sherlock Holmes. Is that the really? Roger Moore I'm thinking of? No, it's not. Uh, yes, the James Bond Roger Moore has been Sherlock Holmes. Christopher Plummer has been Sherlock Holmes. Peter O'Toole. Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> <laughs> Royal Shakespeare Company stage production. Yeah, we haven't even talked about the whole Sherlock Holmes Spock like loop closed loop of relationship that the two fandoms have created the new movies plus the original um it's super hula franklin jella yeah there's yeah super hulak is a thing yeah and they keep trying to get the hannibal fandom to join them and the hannibal fandom is like we're not here for you <laughs> Rupert Everett. No, hannibal and elementary have kind of formed a, a sort of alliance thank mm-hmm. goodness that michael kane has been sherlock i would have felt bad if he was left out but you know who else has been sherlock holmes john cleese <laughs> of course he has <laughs> i'm just saying everybody has played sherlock holmes next time a fangirl gets in your face about which sherlock you like you can, tell her, you can <laughs> tell her where to take this very long list of Sherlock's and shove it. 
And that's not even counting the sheer amount of characters that have been inspired by Sherlock Holmes or loosely based on Sherlock Holmes. Or anthropomorphic animals. No, you're so right. I'm on the list now of actors who've played Sherlock Holmes. This is a huge list. I'm saying, and this is just what English Wikipedia would know. Tom Baker from Doctor Who. Peter Cushing. Peter Cook. <laughs> right? Charlton yeah. Heston. <laughs> Christopher Lee. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah. This is... Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it has brought up a, a, a particular adaptation that had an impact on me. The one... The first one that I remember watching before Jeremy Brett, but after Great Mouse Detective, was a 2002 version of Hound of the Baskervilles. And it stuck out in my mind for three reasons. One, Dr. Watson is played by Professor Quirrell from the first Harry Potter movie. <laughs> Two, it had a really terrible, like, half-animatronic CGI hound. <laughs> and free, you actually see Holmes shooting up drugs. Nice. This was one that put it front and centre, and this was just... I remember it being quite a controversial thing when it was shown on TV. I just... I mean, I found this quite daring and radical, because I was, you know, like a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. And this was just... I This this idea of the sort of per- perfectly gentleman character who's iconic in British literature and around the world, and he's a drug addict. Always was. It was hard for me to wrap my head around that. I thought mm-hmm. that was. I don't want to say cool because your know, drugs aren't cool, kids. Mm. But don't do drugs. <laughs> well, I think that's the great thing because even in the books, it's not like it was portrayed. This was. I mean, Holmes could justify it in whatever way, and like you know, oh, it makes my mind work or not. And Watson was always like, no, that's bullshit, and it's yeah. bad for you, and I'm getting you off this. I will say there is one thing I'm looking forward to in, in Sherlock season three, and I'm surprised we haven't mentioned it. Um, guest star Lars Mikkelsen. <coughs> That's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. The Danish <laughs> Mikkelsen brothers are taking over all your shit. They've got to keep up with the Hemsworths. I know. There's a lot of brothers taking over things. I know. I've mean, what about the Skarsgårds in, in Sweden? There's so many of them, and they're taking over everything. Not that we mind particularly. We do not mind. No, I'm mind. really we okay su- with We're that. supportive of this takeover. And then someday there'll be a movie that has a Hemsworth, a Skarsgård, and a Mickelson, and the world will explode. It'll be awesome. <laughs> It'll be the Super Hulak movie. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Okay. As as oh my God, final Tumblr thought. Will die. Yeah. As my final thought, because we've been going for like two and a half hours. Do we think that Moffat actually knew at the time that he flung Sherlock off that roof that he had any idea how he was going to get him off? Um, I'm willing to hazard yes, because I just think it would be necessary. And I also think this is one of those things where the producers and people at the top of BBC would say, look, you have to be able to explain this. I would say yes, because the fan explanations are not that I've seen, I don't consider them to be that much of a stretch. You know, the things they've, the little things they pick up from episode, those actually sound like, okay, this probably was the writer's plan. So I'm going to give him this one. I'm going to say no. (laughs) I'm going to say he really had no idea he was going to let the fans do the work for him and pick the fan theory he liked best. I could see that. Yeah, but then how do you explain him playing with that ball? Because that's an odd detail to just throw in there. Pick the fan theory that 
fits. Yeah, Throw in random shit into the episode and see what the fans make of it. Exactly. Let the fan- I mean, you know, we've ripped into Moffat so much this episode that I, it would surprise no one that we would actually believe the, believe this of him. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 would Gaddis let him do it? Well, that is another question. I don't think he would. I think that out of the two of them, Gatiss is the one who has far more attachment to the source material. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling Moffat doesn't particularly like Holmes sometimes. Much like I get the fact that I don't think he particularly likes the Doctor that much. <laughs> I don't think he likes anything in general. Yeah. I trust it to be fucking Scottish. <sighs> Poor Kaylee. <laughs> <laughs> I've got so much I have to deal with as it is. That's all right. I'm, 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 we'll, we'll get somebody else to represent you on the global stage. We've got Peter Capaldi now, so... Yeah, well, you've got Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> Put a little fucking passion into it. <laughs> We're doing okay, we've got... We've got you know what? Okay, just, just imagine this. Gordon Ramsay yelling at Moffat. Oh. Did that just make everything better for you? Yeah. Can I have that t- gift set, please, Tumblr? <laughs> Tumblr, your homework. <laughs> your homework for this month. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you have now have Broadchurch with David Tennant actually using his real accent, which I've only that seen the first true. episode of, but I loved, and I really wish I could make Amazon actually download it to my TiVo. It's the only show that it won't. I don't understand. I'm so glad you guys are getting Broadchurch because you will now get to be introduced properly to the majesty that is Olivia Coleman. Yeah. She's basically going to be our generation's Judy Dench. Excellent. Haven't seen that one yet, but I have checked out Luther. And if there was <gasps> oh, one show I could see crossing with Hannibal, just <laughs> just based on Tumblr gifs of Hannibal, because I still haven't seen it. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Don't yell yeah. at me. I can, ha- they, no, I can hear our, fa- I can hear our listeners. Right. Okay, the Hannibal fandom's choice, actually, for Molly Graham is Ruth Wilson. So She should <laughs> be in more that. things. She's so wonderful. And she was in that terrible Lone Ranger movie, which I haven't seen, but I know it's terrible. Right. <laughs> we talked about that before. We have. And you yeah, should go listen to our episode if you haven't. Don't, don't yell at Alina. She has her deadline for when she needs to see Hannibal, and that's when we record our October episode, which is going to be our Hannibal episode. So that is her deadline. Don't and yell at her. I really hope Amazon and other early release vehicles get their shit together and get all the pilots up in time for us to record the September one. I agree. Don't worry, listeners. We won't leave you hanging. There will be an episode. We just hope it's the one we want to bring you. Yeah. Well, it'll be the one we want to bring you. We just hope we're as informed as we'd really like to be. (laughs) That's right. Otherwise, we can just talk about Clark Gregg for two hours, which, you know, that would be terrible. (laughs) That would not be a terrible show, but it's not really the one we want to give you. So I guess on that note, we'll see everyone in episode 12. Next month. Until then. Bye. Good night, everybody. See ya. You have been listening to Anglophies, a made-of-fail production.